<laughs> yeah, yeah, I so, have an idea. We'll have a podcast, and what we'll do... <laughs> yeah, podcast about the writing <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Bowlet. Have no idea what episode is. We'll call it like hour one thousand. Um, this is our best of twenty twenty in film episode. Uh, I love doing these year end retrospectives, and I think I communicated that love of these episodes, uh, these episodes to you guys. And uh, because of that, we decided to just make that a thing that we do for every year, all the time, uh, going back to the year two thousand. <laughs> Um, and that has resulted in watching a lot of movies this year. I'm a little a little pumped to be done with the retrospectives for a while, but uh, yeah, that's good. So I'm here with Zach. Hello. I'm here with Nate. How you guys hey. doing? I am also pretty eager to not watch a, like a movie and a half a day. You know, that's kind of been the <laughs> clip I've been averaging, and it turns out it's too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to have some time to start in on our retrospectives for next year <laughs> so that I can pace it a little better. <laughs> I feel like if I start digging in on those now and I hit 2001, you know, get that out of the way, we'll be in okay shape. I did not watch a 2020 film until I think we watched The uh, Five Bloods. And that was like pretty deep into the year, I think. Probably summer. Yeah. It was around when it came out. Mm-hmm. I I managed um, yeah. to see a couple in theaters right at the beginning of the year, which I, we'll get into later. But <laughs> uh, that's a good segue. Um, <laughs> I think we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, how 2020 changed. Or do you want to talk about the like other thing first? Oh, the fact that that Trump got impeached for a second time. That fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should probably do that. <laughs> you know, the other thing. <laughs> cannot cannot express. Uh, Clearly enough, how much it sucks to suck. That's just just big time sucks to suck energy for for that dude. Zach broke his uh, his dry January for it. I know. I feel like this uh, this had to be remarked upon with uh, with some celebration. So wouldn't wouldn't have it. I would say wouldn't have it any other way. But I would like to actually <laughs> <But> <laughs> glad, would gladly would gladly not have had an insurrection. Yeah, right. Uh, a white supremacist insurrection would have been wonderful to skip. Yeah. All things being what they are, wonderful to see him get impeached a second time. Hopefully Absolutely. this time it takes. Yeah, the first one didn't take. Yeah, the first <laughs> one didn't, didn't really stick around. It's like your second dose of the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Like, Build up those antibodies. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Yeah, um, yeah so that's that's been today, along with the James Harden trade, uh, weird and wild day um but yeah but by the time you're listening to it it's at least a few days later maybe a few years later once you've listened through our back catalog of four and a half hour episodes (laughs) once you have prepared correctly and watch all 150 movies required to follow this podcast Uh, yeah so in in that uh in in honor of that i think we're going to try and make it a little easier on ourselves and easier on our listeners and 
and to reiterate what we announced at the end of our four and a half hour episode with Kapil, which you, you definitely, definitely stuck around to. for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're gonna we're gonna start doing every two weeks do a podcast uh, on four or five movies. Uh, pick one of one movie ourselves for a theme, and then maybe do either a ballot or have a guest on to choose a movie. I think that'll it'll be a much more manageable podcast. I don't know if it'll be better, but it'll it'll be easier for sure. I think it'll lead to a lot more consistent discussion. It is kind of hard, um, especially in retrospective to bounce around from theme to style to everything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so with these, we can really hone in on some of the aspects of the movies we're really interested in. Um, and it'll be just a little easier mentally to try and process <laughs> everything all together so I can actually remember details of some of the movies I'm talking about and not just the ones I've watched within the last two days because everything else is a fucking blur. Yeah, so this won't be uh, next episode. It'll be the episode after. We're going to do a quick, I don't know, quick for us, a uh, couple-hour episode on music of 2020, um, probably coming up next week, and then... Uh, then we're going to get into the films, uh, Atlantics from 2019. Um, Mati Diop, is that the name of the director? Yep. Um, Mulholland Drive, the 2001 David Lynch film, uh, Pulp Fiction, 1994 Tarantino film, and Call Me By Your Name, the 2017 Luca Guadagnino film. And these are all movies that we, at least one of us kind of missed, um, over the past couple of decades, I guess, are movies that people have generally seen um, and we just kind of haven't. And I'm excited. Three of these are movies that I have not seen. I've, I've seen Pulp Fiction. Zach has not seen Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but Atlantic, Small and Drive, and Call Me By Your Name, I have not seen. Yeah, I, I have only seen Call Me By Your Name out of those three. So yeah, pulp, pulp Fiction for me as well. So, yeah, it's a good way to just sort of, you know, as as with everything else about this uh, podcast, it's entirely self-indulgent and all about just sort of filling in gaps and things that we, you know, we're missing. So um, I'm, I'm really excited for when we've seen all of the movies. Uh, yeah, right. Which is, you know, coming up next season. <laughs> if we keep if we keep pace. Um, yeah. So this is, you know, this will be a fun new format and I, I'm sure it'll cut down the pods by, you know, uh, 15 minutes or so. So, uh, you know, you'll only have to get through three hours and 45 minutes to, to listen all the way through. So, um, yeah, if you're interested in following along for the next, next episode, the next movie episode, um, sometime over the next couple of weeks, check out those four movies, or if you've already seen them, just tune in and hear our rambling yep. thoughts about them and we will put them up probably on letterboxd i'm assuming yep. as a small group yeah that's that's a thing I, I think we've mentioned it but if you if you really want to follow along with us follow us all on letterboxd i know there aren't many people doing that already so uh it becomes a little bit easier if you can see our lists and and what we've been watching and what we're our uh, sad we're sad diaries <laughs> so I, I showed that to my brother who's like a normal person and doesn't watch this many movies and not a, a not a sociopath yet cool yeah. <laughs> he took a quick look and then he goes wait a second you watched three movies in a day four times in December? <laughs> <laughs> i was like wait till he finds out that i watched four movies in a day three times <laughs> yeah it's um, oh boy it was it was officially too much 
Uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like I was behind you guys on a lot of the 2020 movies, so I ended up watching 51 movies in December, catching up. Yeah, I only hit 43. <laughs> I was a noob, and I got to, I think, 41. <laughs> but uh, also, if anyone wants to be a guest on here or has a theme, uh, feel free to text any of us, because I'm pretty sure whoever is listening already has our number. Um, yeah. <laughs> if not, you can hit us up on Twitter. We have a Twitter. It's Ballot, oh, yeah. I believe. Burritos at Ballot. Yeah, is, at Ballot. is back up and running. I, I remembered the password and <laughs> have it on my phone now. Beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, we're we're going to do some serious ones, some lighter hearted fare. You know, it'll be a pretty we, we've mixed got bag. Some, we've got some interesting things on the, on the list that are just like, it uh, could be hilarious combinations of movies and and some things that are more serious like this one where it's just like we gotta find some time to watch these movies that we haven't watched i'm excited Um, for our six episode run of making uh zach watch all of the marvel movies in succession that should be good (laughs) i have watched (laughs) carve out carve out half the year i have watched like 15 of the marvel movies well get ready for a rewatch oh god jesus christ oh man yeah yeah i for one am am really ready for the director's cuts of uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> Pick your favorite. Yeah. My mine will be a journey through cinema at its mightiest and holiest. So. <laughs> ready for the Terrence Malick pod. All right, we should probably get this uh hopefully not 4-hour podcast going, um but inevitably 4-hour podcast going. Um, this is going to be each of our top 11 films of the year 2020. We're going to later on do an Oscars episode, probably when, whenever the Oscars, the Oscars happen. I, I think after the Oscars probably makes the most sense because that's more evergreen content than predicting the Oscars and then immediately that being wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is what I don't know. I think, I think this is the year for bloody nose, empty pockets to make a run. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, I I think this list doesn't cover a lot of the films that came out technically in 2020 but haven't really been released yet or have been released since it turned to 2021. Um, So those are going to be included in our 2021 lists, but we'll probably cover those on the Oscars pod in case you're wondering where One Night in Miami is or whatever. And these are... are Sorry, go ahead. Let's bing, 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 bing. All right. And uh, so our our parameters for this are are basically, um, for the most part, uh, movies that have had uh, a wide enough release that they've been accessible, um, you know, uh, more generally. So the equivalent of a theatrical release, although obviously with this year that's been somewhat complicated. Um, The main exception to that is uh, Nomadland, which is one that we were all lucky enough to sort of catch at various festivals um, that were, you know, online festivals that uh, that aired and is obviously going to be a pretty big contender in the Oscars and was a movie that, spoiler alert, um, we all enjoyed quite a bit and therefore felt like it was worth including on this episode. I think it's a strong recommend from each of yes. us so you don't really need to worry. Like, if you can find it, as soon as you can find it, yeah. watch it. I, I think but it I, finally got a, a release date. I think it's February... 15th something like that uh so it'll be coming out theatrically in quotes sometime in february 
Yeah, but generally Thank speaking, we're saying quotes. <laughs> we're trying to be a pod for the people and and stick to movies that are accessible enough that you were able to see them. They were released formally within um, 2020, so that's why you'll see a couple movies that were technically you know popped up at a festival in 2019. We're counting them on our 2020 lists because that's when they sort of officially dropped. So February um, 19th for any sticklers out there. Redland. Sick. Yeah. So I think. 2020, uh, to put it lightly, has been a really weird year for the amount of movies I consumed. Uh, I have been a movie pass and then a AMC A-list subscriber for the past three years now. Um, I live in New York. I'm lucky enough to get a lot of uh, smaller indie movies that actually come to the theaters. So going to a movie on a Tuesday night um, was something that was pretty common for me. Uh, and I was able to get in, I don't know, 40 or 50 movies a year, just like that, you know, kind of slowly interspersed throughout the, uh, throughout the year. And that was how this year started off. And then obviously the pandemic happened and the three of us kind of pivoted to, Oh, we can't leave our homes. Let's just try and watch every movie that's ever existed. <laughs> so I went from being a watch a movie almost exclusively in theaters and maybe at home every once in a while to watching a movie most nights during this pandemic. So I don't know how, how Nate, your uh, consumption changed. Yeah, I think for me... Um... I think by virtue of not living in the middle of a city anymore, um, uh, I was already kind of in the mode of of uh, being more directed towards watching movies, you know, at home and then uh, saving the more blockbustery movies or just movies that I were really high on my sort of expectation list um, and I wanted to catch as early as possible. Um, those would be the ones that I'd go to the theater for. Like I remember going to, you know, driving all the way out to... Um, West Springfield like an hour away because it was the only spot that was playing Phantom Thread to try and catch that just like by myself in the middle of a work day <laughs> um, but but otherwise it was usually the blockbuster it was the Marvel movies it was the bigger flashier movies the Mission Impossibles things like that um, and that's definitely been I, I think the the loss of those movies in general has been the real shift this year with mm-hmm. them getting pushed back um, but yeah, the, in terms of the watching at home, I mean, I'm I'm very much so a completionist. I think just as like a, as a character trait, and so in a lot of ways, um, having this much more time and uh, having this be a thing that was sort of central to how we were all engaging with each other um, gave me the permission to lean into those completionist <laughs> tendencies and really start start chasing all these things and you know dig in on lists and stuff like that. So in that sense, it's been really conducive to um, that sort of I don't know absolutist uh, need to to. Uh, go through an entire year and catalog all the different information about it. Um, and that's been really enjoyable, even if at moments it's kind of gotten out of hand. But yeah, it's turned into a sort of watch a movie every night thing. And I, and I like that as a balance to the rest of my life, as movies are like one of the things that I love the most that is the least involved in what I do on a day-to-day basis. I feel lucky enough to like work a job that is something that I love. Movies exist totally outside of that, so it's cool to be able to integrate that in um, you know, and, and this year has kind of led me towards that to a certain extent. As we speak, uh, Gabe is editing his 2020 movies notes. (laughs) 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 I can get that little notification from my notes app that Gabe's editing the 2020 movies he's seen. Um, yeah. Hi Gabe. 
I think the thing for me that has changed the most about how I watch movies in 2020 is that I uh, have an extra room in my apartment now that uh, we turned into a movie theater. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think definitely in response to the lack of being able to go to the theater, but also the wider availability of films on streaming sites um, definitely made it a, a more viable option just to you know, get a projector and, and throw up a screen and it, it isn't the same experience, but, uh, kind of recreates that in a way that kind of makes film watching seem substantial still. Um, but I'll still watch m- more than half of the movies I'm watching just on the TV out in the living room. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's going to change things going forward too, based on the movie industry and, uh, and how they handle that. But, um, I'm I'm more on the side of uh, I'd probably rather be watching a lot more indie movies than going to see blockbuster movies in the first place, and that the, those are the ones that I generally go to the theater for. Um, and the the indies have been the ones that I need to seek out at mm-hmm. theaters that that aren't like AMC. Um, and it, it'll be nice if that continues to be available just in the house, so I don't have to like. Sorry, Zach, pay seventeen dollars to go see a movie when it's usually like eight. Hey, uh, shouts to San Diego. I mean, <laughs> AMC A list was a, a godsend. You know, you go to a movie in a half a month, it would pay for itself. You know, New York City yeah. theater tickets are yeah. not even theater tickets. Uh, movie theater tickets are just fucking absurd. So any sort of subscription service would, just made uh, an immediate amount of sense for me. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now it's gone from maybe once a week, uh, on average, going to check out a movie in the theaters to just being at home watching um, on my TV here. So, but I was able to discover a shit ton of movies I loved this year. I don't know if you all found uh, this year compared to years past. Um, I thought that this had a really really deep bench of movies i quite enjoyed it didn't have quite as many high highs as the past year or two but you know from four to 30 i would say or four to 25 i i really loved yeah i think i think 2019 really uh hard to beat at the top it's a a tough bar to set yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and and there are some really good films this year that get almost to that level for me, but definitely you're not hitting the Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Parasite kind of highs for me. Um, but yeah, I think once you're getting down into the 20s, last year for me, the 20s were fallow. Uh, <laughs> we're talking, um, I, I wouldn't say like movies I didn't enjoy, but we're, we're talking like Spider-Man 2 and uh, like Ready or Not, those kinds of movies. Oh, God. I'm like <laughs> happy, to, happy to go see. Well, definitely I would prefer Ready or Not to you guys, but uh, ha- happy to go see and just have a fun time. But I, I think once we're getting down into the 20s and this year, it's movies that I either really enjoyed watching that just didn't quite make the list or movies that I thought had some really solid cinematic qualities to it that maybe i didn't fully appreciate the whole of it but there are definitely uh things about it that i loved yeah i'm really interested to see how this year ages i think that um whether by virtue of 
Chris, to what you were pointing to, the like uh, how how uh, we've been a little bit directed more towards indie movies by virtue of not having access to the to the theater experience um, this year, whether by virtue of the movies that got postponed and then a left room for certain movies to rise to the top of the critical consciousness, whether just by virtue of what happened to be the best this year. I think a lot of the top movies had just like a quieter, more meditative nature to them um, in a lot of ways and are the types of things that I think have the ability to potentially age really, really well. I think about, you know, the way that I think about some of the movies from like 2017, which is another year that I love a lot of. And a lot of them are not necessarily quite as flashy movies, um, something like, you know, Phantom Thread, things like that. Uh, I, I wonder how we'll look back on this year with a couple years removed, whether it'll sort of rise even further in esteem and we'll start to look at some of these movies as being um, even better than we may consider them now, uh, just because they don't necessarily have the immediate sort of flash of uh, of a parasite, of a, you know, Portrait of a Lady on Fire falls a little bit in the, in the um, gray area with that. But... Um, yeah, it'll be. I, I'm just. I'm very intrigued in how this year will sort of stack up over time when we do our five year retrospective to it. Yeah, I, I was literally thinking about that today. How interesting it is going to be to go back and think about this five years later. So it's it's cool that you brought that. I up. I mean, the the craziest thing about this uh, this year is that uh, Gerard Butler put out a garbage movie that wasn't actually garbage. <laughs> I, I think that's the wild I, part. I got. I cannot even explain how angry I got for the first part of that sentence until you followed it up. Greenland, not terrible, <laughs> but would recommend. Yeah, would recommend Greenland. I don't think. I don't think the average person should be should be paying twenty dollars to watch it. But uh, wait, wait till it's on streaming. If if you're a huge Gerard Butler fan like we are, absolutely go for it. Drop that. Drop that bag for Gerard Butler. It's certainly <laughs> not the worst Gerard Butler movie we've seen by a long shot. Um, shouts, shouts to law abiding. <laughs> oh my god! I had blacked that out. I did not <laughs> try as I might. Yeah. I may have blacked out drunk while we were watching it, but still remember the experience. How yeah. is this possible? Yeah. It's it's deep in my heart. It's bad. Uh, shall shall we start our uh, our top eleven? Let's do it. All right, Nate. Give me your number eleven film of the year, twenty twenty. Okay, so I, I just want to lay the groundwork now. <laughs> no, no, I'm not cheating, but I want to lay the groundwork now for something that will come back when we get much later in the order, because I know it's going to come back. Just got to set a precedent here for some bullshit later. <laughs> there is a, a, a hair-sized margin between my number 11 and my number 12. My number 11 is The Sound of Metal. Okay, that's coming up later. I assumed it um, would be. Is an honorable mention for me. Okay. Uh, Zach? My number 11 is Dick Johnson is Dead, which I don't believe is on either of your lists. Not on It is not. Now, so uh, just as a little caveat, I don't think we're going to try and do spoilers for these. We're going to talk about them in kind of generalities and maybe touch on some specific plot points, but we're not going to try to, you know, go into specific details about the movie. Soft spoiler warning. So if you don't want to know details about a movie, you know, feel free to there, skip. There are some up. movies on on these on this list that I will say like at the beginning of a movie that I would say don't know anything about it mm-hmm. going into yep. it. Skip that thing and watch it. Yeah. 
So we'll give we'll give uh, those sort of harder spoiler uh, warnings <laughs> when they come. But assume soft spoilers across the board and uh, no big deal, like the equivalent of a trailer. You know, so if you're cool with that, yeah. feel yeah. free to stick around. This is going to be more of like a should you watch this movie? Uh, it turns out for all why. of them, it's yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so Dick Johnson is Dead is a documentary by uh, famed documentarian Kirsten Johnson, um, who was uh, famous for the movie Camera Person, which I have not yet seen, but has gotten, um, you know, got pretty incredible reviews. I think it came out back in 2016. Um, and the premise is it's a real life document of her coping with the eventual passing of her father, Dick Johnson, um, who is the star of the movie. Um, he knows that it's a documentary about him eventually passing and it'd be really fucked up if he did. Yeah. And (laughs) it kind of goes into the, um, psychology of dealing with death, coping, preparing for the inevitable, um, loss within families, uh, and because it's this kind of the way that Kirsten adds to it is by putting these fictionalized deaths that her dad might, uh, you know, it, that might happen to her dad, like a, a air conditioning unit falling on his head. It's these like super fantastical versions or, you know, falling down the stairs or getting stabbed in the neck with a, a nail on a board, you know, these kind of crazy um, circumstances and it's it, at least for me it was a really interesting look into the joy that can come from celebrating someone's life while they're still around and the really tough conversations and um, consequences that come with with dealing with the end of life of someone who it, you know was this the sweetest man you know in the world from from what it seemed like in the movie so uh, it, it just really worked for me as a as a think piece on uh, emotional vulnerability and and the loss of life. So um, I don't know what you guys thought about it. Yeah, this uh, this will be a theme that I think comes up a, a couple times, specifically on movies that Zach, you and I are not entirely on the same page about. But um, this was one for me that I thought the core. Um, messaging of it, the core identity of the movie was phenomenal. And I was so interested by what she was chasing. And I Mm -hmm. felt like the execution of it just didn't put all the pieces together in a way that was as compelling for me. There were things that felt like they felt short or felt like maybe this was something that I could understand why the experience of making it was so powerful, but didn't necessarily connect with me as a viewer in the same way um Mm -hmm. that said there were incredible standout moments of it i thought that again conceptually the idea of like processing uh impending grief by enacting deaths upon someone who you know is going to die is like an incredible psychological experiment i just there was something about narratively the way it was thread through that just like didn't quite land for me and didn't feel consistent enough um for it to, to for it to break into my list yeah, it was it was kind of a, a making of uh, this movie that kind of just didn't end up being made because I think it was taking that toll mm-hmm. on its star. Uh, I, I think the idea was different than what eventually came out. Totally, or, I, I think that came across. Felt, at yeah. least. Totally, that's um, a really good way to describe it. That like this felt like the the behind the scenes footage 
for like this felt like the documentary about the movie. Yeah, and I there were times where that took me out of it, and then there were some really affecting moments that were as you might expect in a movie like this that are just super emotional. Um, and I have two scenes in my head in particular that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't uh, divulge those, but um, I, I think pretty strong ending as well with some emotional resonance. And, yeah. and I thought that uh, that put a pretty good bow on it. Um, this was my lowest rated or lowest ranked four star movie of the year. And it's at number 27, so one, that tells you how strong of a year it is in terms of depth. And two, I think in the year 2021, I'm going to start using the... I'll, I'll do the star ratings on Letterboxd, but I think I'm going to start doing an actual like number rating so I can do a better job of keeping track of what films I enjoyed more than others. Yeah, fair. It it is so. This movie's on Netflix, so it's it's available to everyone. Um, Good call. We should be telling people yeah. where they can find these movies. I would uh, definitely recommend it, even as as maybe mm-hmm. the lowest of the three of us on it. I would yeah. I would absolutely recommend it as a watch, assuming you are emotionally in a place where you feel comfortable dealing with something that deals this confront confronts um, this directly. You know, grief and loss yeah. and. Um, and various types of mental illness and stuff like that. It's you know, there's a lot that, that comes with. Yeah, it's a, it's a heavy movie yeah, with so some really mo- great moments of brevity. Literally yeah. within five minutes of finishing this movie, uh, while I was still crying, my uncle out of nowhere texted me a picture of me and my cousin with my now dead grandmother, <laughs> who, <laughs> who also experienced some dementia toward the end of her life. So, uh, yeah, if you're not in that headspace, then <laughs> sure, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, Chris, um, what's your number 11? <laughs> My number 11 is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Higher Coming up. up. Yeah. Uh, my number 10, which, man, I I had uh, higher up, and I was really excited to potentially be the highest on this, and now I know that I'm not anymore, which is a bummer, because I really wanted to be. It was Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Coming up. Yeah. Uh, my number... Get where I put that. My number 10 is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which we talked about um, in an earlier pod. We did. Um, my number 12 that was the, yep. the hair fraction away. Uh, I, the only thing I'd say about this is that I don't think I've thought about a movie from this year more and returned 100%. to a movie um, more. And I think the only thing that kept it as low as it was on my rankings, as number 12 in a very yeah. deep year, so like, you know, um, was that stylistically the, the moments of more horror in it are not a fun watch for me. Like that, just mm-hmm. aesthetically, I'm not a big horror person. And it's not that I thought they were wrong or bad or that there was like they were absolutely the right choice. They just like the experience of watching them, I think is the only thing that made that sort of fractional difference that kept it off the list. But again, which is hilarious because that is uh, like my favorite part of that right, film. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was, I, we're this allowed was, to have differing opinions. Yeah. Crazy. Who knew? Um, one of my, one, certainly one of the movies that I've been the most interested in and, and spent the most time with um, over the year. Totally. All right. I have uh, lingua franca as my number 10. Um, well, I'm seeing Nate's face right now. 
Uh, so Nate and I had a little Excited side to... conversation about yeah, we... <laughs> while we were watching. Okay, so I I kind of got that. So here's where I'm at with it. Sure. Uh, so this is the story of a a uh, Filipino immigrant, a trans woman who is taking care of an an older lady with dementia, and it's kind of a dual story of her struggling with the very real fears of being an undocumented immigrant in America during the Trump era. And also she kind of forms this relationship with the grandson of the woman she's taking care of. And the thing I liked about the movie a lot was the, uh, the, the whole thing's kind of a misdirect and, and kind of making you think it's going to be one kind of movie. And then it really isn't that kind of movie. Um, and there's a lot of kind of fainting toward being something that I was kind of feeling uneasy about for a lot of the movie. And then toward the end, it kind of veers back in an opposite direction. That's kind of a really uh, (laughs) (laughs) unclear way of saying that, but um, I'm interested to hear what you guys didn't like about it. So I think that it's like you said at the beginning, a very important story that needs to be, you know, these type of uh, filmmakers need to be elevated and given a platform to tell their their own personal story. And I know that Isabel Sandoval, this is a very personal story for her. Um, and as as far as the movie goes, I just think I, I think it's just like a little poorly written. Um the the scenes with the love interest in the meat factory are like some of it's like the uncle's like hey don't call me uncle when you're on the floor are you so are it's you a little drunk? bit like a no i'm not drunk it's... you're fired get out of here <laughs> anyway. it's it, a little bit like an episode of law and order but those aren't the scenes that i'm like watching this movie for no but but in a 90 minute movie it it just takes up so much of the runtime it's it's kind of hard to find the moments that i really do like and there are moments i like but then they seem cut off too fast and then there are scenes that are totally inconsequential that are thrown in there that lasts way too long. Um, and uh, I don't know. It, it was just a little tough to keep pace with it when there it just fluctuated so much between scenes I thought were great and scenes I thought were like pretty poorly written. Yeah, for me, this is one of those like, I, you know, uh, yeah, you, I think it's exactly, Zach and I are on the exact same page with this. There's um, a lot of, moments of promise with Isabel Sandoval and I hope that she gets lots of money to make many more movies because I, I can see a lot of like the the makings of some really great directorial stuff um, I, and and the writing for me made it like a really tough watch um, I think my number one pet peeve narratively is when you do an info dump by having two characters sitting in a room together and one of them says, <laughs> remember how we used to, and then starts talking about an experience. And then the other one says, yes, of course. And you used to do. And it's just one of those things of like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't believe your characters anymore. And that's especially, especially when that's the with a story when it's character. exactly when, when it's a story that is that personal. Um, if you were doing that in a story where I, 
I wasn't supposed to have any personal investment in the characters and you were doing that kind of bullshit, then I could get by with it. With this, it takes you out of the the what I think would be the core otherwise of the story, the really human element. Um, and and part of that is, as we've talked about before, sort of what you what is your biggest focus within film and what's the thing that you're putting the most emphasis on and what's drawing you to it. And for me, I think the writing is always sort of like the, there's the primacy of the writing. And if it's not there, it really takes me out of it. Um, so that was the case here. I think cinematically okay. there were some shots that were beautiful and totally were really well put together. I think again, yeah, like in terms of the content, I think it was incredibly like, uh, seeing a story that dealt with that many nuances to the immigrant experience in a way that isn't just the sort of traditional um, person is here and doesn't have papers and like that's the story or uh, person is tra- like I, we have this tendency to not deal with intersectionality in these stories and to only deal with like here's the one otherness of this character let's make the whole movie around how that is a struggle for them and when you give the reins to directors who actually have these as lived experiences, you get those nuances. And I think that's an incredible thing and a super important thing to elevate. So in that sense, I'd absolutely recommend people paying attention to this movie and to Isabel Sandoval. I just don't think the movie as a thing worked for me. So I think the thing for me was that, I don't know if you guys had this experience on Netflix, but it wasn't available with subtitles. Yep. Uh, so every every time uh they were speaking yeah i had to turn it on myself uh yeah had to turn on so i was already taken out of it by that before i had been taken out of it by the scenes of them sitting there in a church talking to each other (laughs) so i i wasn't i didn't really care about those scenes like those weren't yeah yeah those scenes didn't ruin it for me because i did care so much about the scenes with the two leads together where you have this like alcoholic fuck up who's back in town getting a job with his uncle because he needs to come back and like supposedly needs to come back and take care of his grandmother. But I think he fucked up wherever he was and ended up there. Um, Don't call me young. He's kind of like, he's kind of on this, like he needs to get his life together and like become somebody shit where uh, it kind of feels like a story where it's going to be like a redemption story for this guy, but uh, turns out he's a piece of shit is a piece of shit. Um, and I I really liked the the kind of nuance that was in those scenes between the two of them, or when when he's kind of by himself trying to figure out like the the straight guy, the cis straight guy trying to figure out his feelings toward. Uh, a trans femme person. Uh, and that's not the type of movie that that was trying to be. And it w- was not interested in dealing with that bullshit. And I, and I appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, I, I honestly think this could have been longer. I think some scenes could have been developed more, some character, um, relationships. It just feels like a little overly cut together, which kind of yeah. took me out of it. So. Yeah, I, I think Nate's probably on the on the nose with this. Where like, just pay attention to Isabel Sandoval going forward and see what yeah. happens there. Give her lots of money. Give her lots of projects. That's great. But I think I think there is an audience for this movie. One hundred percent. One of them. All right, Nate. We are to my number nine. Yep. 
And my number nine is Palm Springs. It's an honorable mention. It's my number 12. It's my number 13. I, I rewatched Palm Springs, Palm Springs today and was dismayed that it did not, <laughs> it didn't move me at all. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I love this movie. Wish I could move it in, but. Um, this is the fastest I've rewatched a movie in a very long time. I think I, <laughs> within the same day, watched it twice when it first came out. Um, it's been really interesting doing these sort of retrospectives or doing the Lotties or, you know, um, <laughs> anything where we're kind of going through and, and um, doing all these extensive rankings. Uh, I, this is not a thing that I'd say that often, but I, I gained a little bit of perspective and a little bit of uh, empathy for Oscar voters and the way that they tend to. Um, oh, don't do that. Comedies. No, uh, because I, I found myself at moments as I was going through these, you know, um, taking this movie and saying that I loved it. It was one of the most enjoyable experiences I had of the year. I thought the performances were fantastic, but the importance didn't have the same weight. And I feel like that's a dialogue that happens sometimes with these things um, and oftentimes ends up getting kind of internally conflated with like the degree of difficulty wasn't as hard or some other equation that I think we kind of do in our brain to slot this below other movies. I think the reality is this is an incredibly difficult movie to pull off as well as they did Um, to make a movie that's this fun but allows for this sort of range of performance that is this well written um, and that uh, accomplishes exactly what it wants to accomplish without, uh, you know, leaning too hard into the sciencey end of it, leaning too hard into the humor and foregoing the human element. Being able to do that tightrope walk um, is incredible to me, and it's something that I really appreciate. And and so every time I kept sort of bumping this down below other movies that I thought of as quote unquote more important, it kept rising back up. The more that I would sort of spend time with it or revisit something from it, um, I. Yeah, I just I I really love this movie. I think I could imagine this sort of jumping up even higher over the years, um, just by virtue of uh, how good it is at being what it's supposed to be. Yeah, this was somewhere in the like one to three range in terms of like enjoyable movie watching experience that I had this year. Um, definitely something I'm going to revisit in later years. This this movie, I think my favorite thing about this movie is that. They they didn't need to make it this good. It would have been just as successful making a standard comedy, but adding the level of humanity to the movie. There, there's so much depth there with every character across the board um, that didn't necessarily need to be there to make it a successful movie. And and that I really appreciate. And and that is probably why it's still hanging around my top eleven uh, toward the end of the year. In a year when there are a lot more quote unquote important films and that um, honestly the, what you said, Nate about rating importance over a a comedy film. Like I think that's why never rarely turned into my 11 instead of my 12 over, uh, over Palm Springs. It's just such an easy movie to watch. You know, it is like you said, Nate, how quick between your first and second watches did it take you? It was it was under twenty four hours. Yeah, no. I mean, Kristen Milioti gets the award for best swearing 
Um, she she may fuck. be getting other other awards coming. Spoilers for our Lotties coming up. Yeah, incredible. I don't think we need to go into it all that much more. It's a great movie. No, no, Just, we we did do a, a, a good a, talk on it. Would there are many movies that will be further ahead that I may not recommend as quickly to as many people. Um, this is one I of mean, the easiest, yeah. most unabashed, like, if you have not watched this movie, watch it now type. Yeah, yeah I, don't know if we reg- I don't know if we mentioned Lingua Franca is on Netflix, and uh, this is on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Yep. Is it me? Uh, yep. I think number so. Nine. Number nine. Yeah, my number nine is just as enjoyable of a watch. My number nine is The Assistant. Great. <laughs> Honorable mention for me. Uh, yeah, it was, it was outside for me also. It, it, I, I talked before, I think maybe off the pot about my breakdown where I kind of had like a one through 17 was really strong. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a pretty big drop off there. And this was my 17. This yeah. was like the last of the movies that I think you could have swapped out a lot of them and felt great about it. Yeah. It's 19 for me. Yeah. So this is one of the last movies I actually saw in theaters. I saw this in, in January. Um, and I think the in-theater experience really helped me. I mean, this is one of the quietest, stillest movies that I've ever seen. Um, it is the day in the life of a assistant to a Harvey Weinstein-type producer. Um, it is set in New York and not L.A., uh, and it's this kind of small production studio. And... You know, Julia Gardner plays the titular assistant, and you go through a day in her life. Um, and all the monotony and boredom and menial tasks that that entails. But you can see and feel, you can really feel this darker undercurrent of shit that's going on in the background um, that is wrong. You know, emotional abuse from her boss, hostile work environment. Um, and being absolutely gaslit by her HR. Mm-hmm. Oh by Tom Wamsgans. Tom Wamsgans coming in with just the most heinous shit. Again, yeah. spoiler alert for the Lotties. Homie's going to be making some appearances. Um, and, and just, I, I don't really want to spoil anything, but it, it's not a movie with a giant climactic reveal conclusion kind of thing. Honestly, I think spoiling that is probably better than not because Odenkirk brain has broken yeah. me. <laughs> uh, You're just waiting. Yeah, you, you don't. You don't ever get to meet this uh, this character that is hovering over the whole film. As... It's it's some real like I have Sauron shit of like the the big bad exists mm-hmm. and you keep expecting the big bad to to be a a like. More than just a sort of apparition, more than just a presence kind of hovering over everything, and it just doesn't happen. I mean, I think some of the most effective things are when she's writing the emails to him apologizing after being yeah. totally and, reamed out for the smallest, probably correct things that she's doing. Yep. And her coworkers coming yeah. in and like helping, helping her out her with yeah, the draft. I, my. You had a good synopsis that you texted me. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, so the thing for me with this movie is the the thing that I think makes this movie so good is also the thing that kind of puts a ceiling on it um, in the sense that I think that if you make this movie narratively more exciting 
or more thrilling or more surprising or anything like that. It really undercuts um, the core essence of the movie, which is a, a really sort of unabashed um, and unflinching honesty towards what the experience of um, a young woman working in uh, a male-dominated power structure in Hollywood, I mean, you know, in New yeah. York, Hollywood, but in, in Hollywood, um, like, like the experience that, that uh, of that, uh, w- what we've learned about Harvey Weinstein and the people who worked for him, Harvey Weinstein, rotten hell, um, still alive, but rotten hell. Um, uh, honestly, honestly, I, he's dead to me. So yeah. Right. And that's <laughs> um, all that matters. He was still alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, said, I didn't remember he was still alive. That's, um, Come come to Ballad for the Hot Takes. Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> rot in hell. Um, uh, if you make this movie a more cinematically engaging or narratively engaging experience, you undercut that honesty, the honesty of, of what that narrative was, right? Um, by not doing that, you limit some of the ability for that movie to jump off the screen in the way that I think could elevate a story. Right, uh, that could make the experience of watching it. So you're watching this thing that is incredibly difficult to to just be present for, and that's a worthwhile thing, right? Because unlike some movies that are just difficult for, you know, for whatever reason, like this is difficult as an experiential thing to put you in the um, to give you a window into an experience that, especially if you're like us and a white dude, um, probably haven't ever experienced anything along these lines. So. Uh, in that sense, the difficulty is really important, but narratively, there's just a there's just a cap on it, um, and that's what limited it for me. But not in a way that I would want to change anything about it. If that makes any that's, sense, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's it's a four star movie, and I don't think I would change anything about it. And yeah. that, like you said, limits the ceiling of it. But I I don't think there's a reason. Uh, th- th- there's this movie exists for a purpose, and y- you broke that down pretty well Nate. i don't need to add much to it but um i think when we're talking about a movie like palm springs very enjoyable watch and a lot of people would ask why do you watch a movie like this rather than watch palm springs and that to feel something to get a window into the life of somebody else and and that's to see good filmmaking and and make uh, and and have someone put you in somebody else's shoes is is a worthwhile endeavor, and um, we're gonna talk a lot about those kinds of movies on this list. And um, I think I kind of got lucky with this one, where it was one where I was engaged from the start, and I didn't feel the need to like pick up my phone at all. And yeah, um, I, I think if I had been in a different headspace while watching it, it could have had a, a detrimental effect on my ability to really get into the shoes of, of the protagonist. And, um, I, I think that was a, a thing that happened to me while I was watching, uh, Vitalina Varela. Um, and that probably knocked it off my list for, um, just not being able to pay attention to it. That we didn't really engage with that when we were talking about 2020, but that idea of the, the second screening, the, the feasibility of second screening at home versus in a theater, obviously there's sort of like the, the, um, people will, get pissed off at you if you're doing it in a theater. And so there's there's more danger of, of sort of slipping your focus totally. when you're watching at home, I think. Um, and, you know, some of that just comes with the territory and it's not the end of the world. 
I 100% agree. This is a movie that uh, if you are going to watch this movie, put that shit on airplane mode, put it in another room, do whatever you got to do. Be present for the whole movie. Um, even if that means take a break in the middle of it, like be present yeah. for this movie because the the movie is in the small moments and in the details, which again is true of many of the movies on this list. But uh, it's such an experiential watch in that sense um, that you don't you don't want to miss it because you're you know mm-hmm. you're scrolling for something else. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. this movie's on Hulu. Um, I would love to see Julia Gardner get some awards uh, action. I know it she's won't happen. so good. Uh, She's and so Kitty, good. Kitty Green uh, is the director. I think does a phenomenal job um, on this. And yeah, uh, I I agree um, with basically everything both of you said. I just um, connected with it like it, it immediately. Um, and it's it's just such a beautiful small story um, that I don't know. I loved it. Uh, now, Chris, yeah. it is your number nine. My number nine is Los Lobos. Coming up. Or The Wolves. I, I don't think there's a reason to translate that title, but for some reason, uh, Letterboxd thought there was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, Nate, you're number eight. Number eight is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Coming up. All right. So my number eight is Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Uh, sorry, Nate, for being the high man on this. I know you're trying I to think I might have for I, me. I, I, for a minute, I had you beat on the ranking. I mean, on the on the stars, and then I think you switched it. I think yeah. I had a jump on you by half a star. Ooh, for a minute. did did you uh, did you peek in on Nate's I, star rating and bump it up? No, I re-rented the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this movie is currently a dollar on uh, iTunes if you want to rent it, um, and it is a uh, fictionalized documentary. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I got confused toward the beginning because it's pretty believable as a documentary. And I think uh, credit to the actors and, and filmmakers for making that happen. Yeah, so the the idea is it's a shitty dive bar in Las Vegas that's closing down. And they're throwing just a, we're closing, let's have a party kind of thing. And all the regular bar flies and patrons come in um, to celebrate and kind of send it off. But... You know, when you are dealing with a bar kind of like that, a lot of the time the bar is the life of the people who go to it um, every day. And how they interact with the people that are other pe- other bar flies and how they interact with people who just come in to have a good time, hang out, and leave. Um, and so this is not an actual documentary. But the many of the quote unquote actors were just found as interesting people in bars in New Orleans that the directors convinced to star in this. And I don't think there's a script. I think it's kind of like a naturalized um, movie experience. And it's just one of the most interesting uh, films I've watched in a long time. It's uh it's a hangout movie. It made me nostalgic for the shittiest dive bars I've ever been in my entire life. Uh, and it was just a really hilarious, sad, depressing, warm movie. I don't know, Nate. And I know uh, I wasn't expecting either of you to love this all that much, but uh, apparently I was wrong. So Keep my name out of your mouth, Zach. Stop telling me what movies I'm going to like. Uh 
so this was first of all I, I think the hardest I laughed of <laughs> any movie that I watched this year um, it's the most quotable movie I think maybe that I've watched in a decade um, I don't want to get too deep into the spoiler not that it's a movie that narratively you can spoil but there are a couple <laughs> of the quotes that like are so laugh out loud funny and I really wish that I could rattle them off but I think in the interest of, of not spoiling you should watch this movie um, you do have to rent it. Save it for save it for it's, bow literature. Well, for the, it'll uh, come back in our in our lotties, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's just it's one of the um, you know pound for pound probably one of the the best written movies in terms of the quotes that come out of it. Um, oh my god, there's some fucking about, gems. <laughs> it, it it made me think a lot about sort of uh, within narratives like you know. Uh, Narratives that rely on the distance that a story can take you versus depth. Um, that, that sort of idea of, you know, a, a story that's intended to take you from point A to point B versus a story that stays at point A but is about giving you all the layers that are occurring within point A and sort of getting to all those real depths with it. And this was a movie that was sort of the perfect encapsulation of that sort of depth of storytelling. Of um, It was such a momentary glance into so many people's experience but somehow managed to give you so uh, so much depth of information and so much depth of uh, emotional sort of awareness about these people and about their experiences with the sort of narrowest window of time and narrowest window of, um, of sort of narrative progress. Uh, and, and that was a real achievement for me. That was something that really, I was blown away by how much I learned about these characters and how invested I could become in these characters with... Um, without any real, I mean, even in a lot of movies that are sort of a day in the life movies or things like that, um, usually they rely on some experiential thing that allows a character to transition from point A to point B in a more significant way, um, where there's some, some big thing that happens in that day that allows them to become a new character. And that's the way that they tell the story. And this was something where you're not seeing a different character from point A to point B. Someone is not going through some life transformation. You're just getting to see all the different versions of that character and how they live in all those different settings. I think mostly of the the sort of central figure, the the guy who um, is living at the bar, Michael. Michael, uh, Michael yeah, and and the way that he uh, just unfolds as a character across it and is like imparts some of the 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 moments of like most profound wisdom. Um, he has one of my lines of, of the round by far in terms of when he's just talking about um, uh, sort of, uh, you know, he's speaking to a younger character about uh, about being wary of sort of what you become by being more hedonistic in your life and stuff like that. And then also, it, you know, you, you get these glimpses into why he is the way he is and you get these glimpses into sort of um, moments where he doesn't have as much control and it all feels very lived in and experienced and doesn't require this like narrative shift. It doesn't mm -hmm. require uh, like an engine of plot to sort of take him from one place to another. It's just how you find out about people when you spend more time with people. And that was the thing that, that made this movie so um, impactful for me. And, and yeah, I was just really blown away by it. Yeah. So the weird thing is uh, this type of filmmaking is either it's most commonly found in either like mockumentary films mm -hmm. or like found footage horror films. And this generally, neither. yeah, generally you so don't either. Yeah, generally you don't get this kind of uh, 
honest solid acting yeah it's 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 honest it's solid acting solid writing just it, it seems so real and that and that's the thing where if you're watching a found footage horror film you don't need to like you're already on a level of needing to suspend your uh your ability to be in that reality um and with mockumentaries like it, it's over you the know top, what you're yeah. getting into. Like it's it's supposed to be like I'm not going into Spinal Tap thinking it's going to be a realistic, honest portrayal of uh, even if it is of life in rock music. Uh, <laughs> it's it's probably probably realer than a lot of a lot of movies. But yeah, yeah, but but for me this was like I I started watching this and I was like, well, this is like the bar that I go to. Mm-hmm. Like this is yeah. the ugly dog. This is I know all of these people, um, and in such a short period of time getting to getting to know all these people that you already know and understanding that maybe I don't like all of these people, but we have this shared space and, and both love that this space that we're in. Um, it, it was, it was pretty affecting. I, uh, I was not expecting to be like emotionally moved by this film, mm-hmm. but I was, um, and uh yeah michael uh has has a pretty emotional walk off uh mm. walk off line um and yeah it's a the, the it was a lot especially in this current time that we're in where a lot of bars are closing and um kind of realizing that these people that you think or know as friends and family are really only have one thing in common and maybe you're never going to see each other again after this kind of thing. And that was something that hit me pretty hard. It's, um, and, and the movie really ebbs and flows because it goes from what? 9am until the next 9am. It's a full 24 hours. And like you see the bartenders change shift and you see, uh, that was the most jarring uh, again, soft spoilers, but like, a character who I very quickly grew to love leaves almost I immediately. Thought he was going to be the, thought he was gonna be the <laughs> central gonna character. Be the central figure. Yeah, yeah. He's like, nope, his shift's over. He's got to go home. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the one thing that I just do want to touch on, and I, it's kind of a spoiler, but it, it's kind of a central tenet of the movie. Um, the my, main character, Michael, uh, about, what, a third of the way through or halfway through, gives a speech where he's like, I fucked my life up sober. And then I ended up at this bar. It's within the first. That's, it's within the first early. couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. one of the that's first really things early. he says. He's like, "I'm really glad that I fucked my life up before I became an alcoholic." Yeah, like that. I, that is. Yeah, and it's just that idea of people who are so open and will talk to strangers about their lives in a in a way like that, and it is these kind of personal connections that really only happen at those kind of divey bars. And, and it's uh it's something special. And I think this movie captures like unbelievably well, like it really does feel like they just stuck a camera in a shitty old dive bar. Yeah. I was confused. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I will, uh, again, I, I will save most of the quotes for, for bell literature but the the one that i do want to say so if you want to know nothing about this movie skip five seconds but the the line of the movie for me that michael says is the when he's talking to the younger um the the younger guy having this whole conversation that's like about 
what to do with your life and sort of from the like older head imparting wisdom, but that's not really being asked for. And also maybe not the most equipped to be saying maybe it. Maybe not like, the wisest <laughs> person. But he says, um, there's nothing more boring. There's nothing more. Oh my fuck. Is he ever going to go away than a guy who used to do stuff who doesn't do stuff no more because he's in a bar. That and fucking yeah. killed me. that. Like th- that, that line wrecked me. Um, both because it's like just like writing wise, fucking brilliant, yeah. um, and like from a from a pure construction thing, but also from a like that's, um, that idea of how many people in the world, um, are kind of always teetering on the edge of that, mm-hmm. of like you have a thing and you could very easily kind of topple into the you don't have. You chase the wrong end of it, and you don't have that thing anymore. And that's just like a thing that is is your identity, is how you think of yourself, and it's just not who you are in the world anymore. is um, is really scary, and and also very real, and and in many cases not the end of the world. Like you can have a thing that you identify yourself as, but your life has gone in a different direction, and that's fine. And you think of yourself differently than the world perceives you, but in some cases it can mean kind of like learning to live with the fact that a part of you that feels essential to who you are and how you define yourself is not a part of you anymore. Um, and that's like a pretty big thing for a, for a bar movie, but, mm-hmm. um, but there, yeah, that, that really the, sucks so with me afterwards. For me, that's the biggest tell that this isn't an actual documentary is that it's written so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it, uh, you could capture all of these things that people are saying over the course of a year, maybe, uh, it's a little too really packed tough in. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really tough to find that all in one night at a bar. Yeah. Oh God, just some of the funniest shit ever when the the older lady gets drunk and then just starts flashing flashing the young kid. I guess. <laughs> that's that's the quote that I'm not gonna say because yeah. it'll get chopped out. But watch this movie because I I get I was it, like the laughter between just like straight up humor and like shock. That I was hearing some of the things I was hearing. Uh, it's perfect, and it's oh, the type and, of stuff that the, the person that she's talking to is exactly who is yeah, ex- yeah, it's, <laughs> it's exactly who would have that conversation and would respond that way. It's so it's so good. Watch, the, please watch this movie. Of all the movies that I think some people might get scared off of because it like doesn't have a plot, it doesn't have the type of like watch this movie. It's it's, it's, it's eighty eight minutes. It's on. It's, it's a dollar. so good. Yeah, it's it's a pretty yeah it's a pretty easy watch, and I would say like sit down and have a beer while yeah. you watch it. it. Immerse yourself in the in the experience, it, it especially until miss- you can go back to a bar. Yeah, like that that's the real big thing is it, like this this will help yeah. fill a little bit of that void. It made me miss having conversations with people I never intended to talk to so much. A hundred percent. So yeah, I don't know. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was my number uh, number seven. No, sorry, Chance my number eight. number eight. Number eight. Yeah, it was eight. Um, Nate, you're seven. I think you're, you're eight. You're eight, Chris. Oh, I'm. I'm okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, my number eight is collective. Um, it was an honorable mention for me. Yeah. So that the, the this is one that like mileage may vary whether you should watch this or not um it is a documentary about a 
sports newspaper uncovering the corruption in the medical industry in Romania, um, all spurred on by a club fire that, uh, I forget the, the death total of the club fire, but I believe 37 people died after it was 20, um, I think it was like 25 or 26 in the actual fire. And then, and, and then 37 died subsequently of non life threatening wounds. Um, and bacterial infections from the, from the hospital. And later it was uncovered by the, the newspaper that it was, they were diluting the antibacterial clean the, the cleaning fluids oh, disinfectants and every, yeah, everything yeah yeah and from there it becomes an indictment of the whole uh medical system the whole healthcare system in the country and um it's it's a really interesting deep dive that's kind of one part um i i felt kind of the same feelings toward spotlight like a really great narrative film about investigative journalism and really kind of interesting to see that there's this this team of journalists that are this passionate about this thing and then the country kind of feels like it takes a a sports gazette to uncover this (laughs) like that's the state of our uh, of our media um and it's it's just this really interesting you get to see uh, the head of this this newspaper go on TV and argue against other journalists about like how this is really fucking important, guys. Um, and at the same time, it also kind of turns into another movie toward yeah. like, the second half, where it becomes more political, and you get to see the inner workings of of the system. And it's not optimistic. It's very, very much a it's it's hard to watch it's um you you get to see what happens in these hospitals and you you see the uh the health minister fired and replaced and then you get to watch his replacement try to put shit back together and it doesn't work um it, it it's hard to watch but it's very interesting and at times encouraging because you can see that there are people trying, but they're fighting against something that might be too tough of a thing to fight against. And um, I, I think it's a it's a pretty well handled documentary. It's it's not in documentary form. It's really told in narrative form. So it kind of feels like watching a narrative film rather than watching a documentary, which I think is a super effective way to do a documentary. Um, and also, it it covers so much that. Uh, I mean, it left me wanting more. I feel like this could have been a, a mini series, or I, I mean, I'd watch whatever about this whole system and, and um, be pretty satisfied with it. I I would push back a little bit on the on the sort of narrative versus documentary thing. I think that because uh, I, I remember you had said that to us prior to us watching it, and maybe that it's just the contrast between what I then thought it would be versus the experience of watching it. Um, I think of it more as um, it was it, rather than be a, a documentary that sort of had its arms around the whole story the whole time. It was a documentary that was very linear, but it still felt like a it still felt like it was being done from the perspective of an outsider, sort of like entering into it. That which is yeah, what I, I, I guess, think. You know, 
I guess what I'll say is that there, there's no voiceover. There's no yeah, like yeah, cut, totally. There's no cutaways to people sitting in front no of talk, the camera. No talking heads, which I think would have done a big disservice to this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will fully own that as the last movie of oh, the God. 44 that I watched for this. <laughs> um, this probably lost a couple points for me uh, because of that. To me, it felt like a, a an interesting, if somewhat unremarkable, documentary. I think the subject matter was very interesting, but it didn't it didn't do anything for me that sort of like elevated it. Um, I, I thought that it was very well done. I thought that it was um, very interesting, and and that was kind of the end of it. And I haven't really thought about it more since I watched it, other than like, uh, oh look more governmental corruption <laughs> like yeah like, so, look I at where we are the wrong time kind of thing yeah it's, totally. yeah if you're not in the right headspace for governmental well, corruption, governmental for corruption sure. and watching people die in a fire yes well, yeah and, but also on the on the governmental corruption thing and i think um this will come up with another documentary that we talk about uh in a little bit i'm assuming um you know there's some element of like uh I feel like in many of these documentaries, the the element of like, uh, I think this came up a little when we talked about Thirteenth as well. The the uh, can you believe it factor? The like, uh, you'll never believe what's happening here, or how shocking is this? And I feel like we've uh, more and more gotten deeper and deeper into this place again as people who've had the luxury of being outside of some of the trauma of of these governmental experiences of um, becoming more and more used to. Uh, and comfortable, not comfortable with, but like familiar with the notion that like uh, governments tend towards this level of corruption and tend toward this sort of abuse of uh, people um, for the sake of sustaining their own power and things like that. And so um, the shock value of that, the, the, yeah. of the journalistic component of it didn't really hit me because the entire time it was, of course, this is what a government's doing. Like that's absolutely what I would expect from them, and it's horrific, and it's uh, watching the process of covering it is is important, but it's not surprising. Um, and so I do wonder how much that you know affected the, the viewing of it as well. I I, w- I wasn't surprised by the corruption aspect of it. For me, it was more uh, the one. It, I, it's hard to find a documentary that just pulls me in so quickly, like in terms of just i don't know making me care about this story right away and i guess the there's the shock value of like showing actual uh club footage i don't know if i needed that but um but i i felt like really compelled by the the actual newspaper reporters and and their stories and like how passionate they were about trying to uncover it and that like I think having so recently watched Spotlight and having like this this portrayal of a true story that kind of affected me that much, and then kind of that continuation of watching it. I think I probably watched it like a week after, um, and being like ready for that kind of like, all right, newspaper tackles really difficult thing, and the whole rest of the structure is against them and i was just kind of ready for that kind of story yeah i i think the one thing nate that i'm going to push back a little bit on is that this is a romanian documentary from a romanian filmmaker and so i think it is kind of uh more 
uh, impactful and less so the kind of can you believe this because these kind of movies don't happen all that often in um, in these kind of countries and to get a a movie this publicized this big with this much international attention is like really notable um, and I I think that shining a light on these stories, and I don't know if I'm taking your words out of context or or kind of misinterpreting them a little bit, but I I never felt the kind of can you believe that this is happening kind of thing. I think it was more of a here is exactly how this is happening because they all knew it was corrupt. They all knew it was totally fucked from the beginning, but it just was a very clear show of like, Here's what's happening at the chemical distribution. Here's how he's connected to these things. Here's how you know those people are connected to the hospital ministers. So I do I do agree that there is a lot of like here's how this is happening, but I do think there is a pretty big degree of uh, can you believe it? Especially when in the second half of the film they're talking to the victims of the fire and they're asking like how did this happen? Yeah. Like what? I, I, I don't understand how this happened and like what's going on. So I, I do think there is that degree, but I, I don't think that detracts from my experience of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a little closer. I was more on um, the, the Chris side of this of really enjoying it. I mean, it was, it's a very tough watch, but I was very, um, you know, enraptured. I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, one of the moments was when they finally show the hospital uh, manager, that's just totally corrupt where the uh, accountants turned him in and it is just the like what you would caricature a corrupt <laughs> romanian man <laughs> yeah you know is the person that walks out and you're like oh <laughs> of course incredible so yeah yeah but uh, like that scene though like that's that's part of the like interesting filmmaking part of it where like that's a stake in mm-hmm. like they're staking out that dude's apartment and trying to get pictures of him like i think that's super interesting filmmaking is being in like in it while it's happening and uncovering things like that and that that just had me like on the edge of my seat the whole time i wonder a little bit if uh i don't uh, and again I, I maybe this is a proximity when we watch stuff maybe it's just an experiential thing but i like I wonder had I watched this before Cartel Land, which is maybe a weird thing to um to compare it with, but I feel like there were similarities in that sense of sort of the embedded journalist component of it. Um whether the experience would have been different. Uh because I feel like Cartel Land was a movie that, that did a lot of that, but maybe in a, a just a slightly more um either shocking way or a slightly more cinematic way. Um, that was more engaging for me. Again, not coming at the end yeah. of this 44 movie watch where I <laughs> maybe slot. subtlety wasn't what I was looking for at that point and I needed a little bit more um, more than just the documentarian component of it. But it just didn't click for me in that sense. It wasn't that I didn't have any critiques of it. Mm-hmm. It just it just didn't hit in the way that I would need um, a, a very sort of like journalistically focused movie. Um, yeah. To engage the me. The, fo- the focus definitely shifts yeah. in the middle. So, and it's, if, it's, if you're looking for, yeah, it's a it's a deeply journalistic movie, and that's like that is that is what it's trying to be, um, and I think that that's great and and totally valuable. Um, but just knowing that going in, it's different than like 
a Meru, as we talked about mm-hmm. before, or like something like that, where like you know, um, there's a more cinematic quality to the thing. There are a few exceptions to that. There's the sequence, like the um, the performance art sequence. I thought was yep. really like beautifully rendered. Um, yeah, I, I think the the cinematic quality thing is a good point, and I, I, but I do think there are cinematic elements mm-hmm. to this that are more more in the like in the newsroom kind of things when they're yeah when they're like when they have someone coming in to like bring in evidence about something and they're talking to them, I think that's kind of very, they'll cut yeah. back and forth. And totally. Like, and, and I'm sure like if you go behind the scenes on how that happens, it kind of ruins like, yeah. how it actually happened. But I think that was for sure meant to be cinematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, so this was the, uh, surprisingly, I think rather than submitting for, um, for best documentary film, this was the Romanian submission for uh, best foreign language film. Oh, interesting! Oscars. Yeah. Um, all right, so Nate, your number seven. My number seven is Los Lobos. Did not make Which I, my I believe honorable I'm mentions. Not. Yeah, We're, weirdly higher than me, man. I don't know what we're gonna what. I guess we'll have to argue to the death about yeah, it. Yeah, but one of us is going to have to leave the bot, unfortunately. So <laughs> it's been a good run. Chris, see you later. Um, <laughs> uh, man, I was I was blown away by this film. Um, I'm, I'm a real sucker for, uh, you know, like pseudo-surrealist stuff, especially when it's deployed in the interest, like it, with a very deliberate narrative aim. Um, this is a movie that uh, it focuses on a, a family of immigrants, um, coming from Mexico, uh, a mom and her two kids, one's eight and one I think is five. Um, and the process of them getting an apartment and her beginning to find work um, and, and various jobs that she goes to work at and the the kids' experience of sort of living in their um, pretty ramshackle apartment um, by themselves and and sort of one kid being the pseudo caretaker for the other kid during the days while the mom is working. Um, and there's a, a whole sort of uh, component where it slips into sort of uh, fantastical, like dream state based on the, the uh, drawings, ninja wolves, the, ninja wolves the, the drawings that they do on the walls. And there's all these interactions with um, the, sort of surrounding families and the, the landlords and things like that. And uh, it's very reminiscent in that way of Florida Project, um, for those of mm-hmm. you who have seen that, it, in terms of the yeah. sort of like the window into all these different lives um, in a very sort of grounded way. Um, but with this added sort of component of that, that um, surrealism that uh, I, I was just, I was really blown away. I thought that this is one of the best written movies of the year, the way that it played with language and with them sort of like learning English um, and the moments of, and, and some of this is also just the advantage of like uh, being able to speak enough Spanish that I feel like I could uh, engage with the, uh, the with both the languages that were occurring in it, or two of the languages. They, there's there's um, I think a bit of Mandarin as well, but the, Mandarin, the yeah. yeah. Um, but the uh, I, so that that may have been like a slight you know way of engaging in it in a way that um, with with some other foreign language films we've seen um, that hasn't been the case, but. Uh, yeah, I was I was pretty enthralled by this movie the, all the way through. I thought it was it looked phenomenal. I thought it was incredibly written. I thought it was very well paced. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, it was my yeah, number. So I, I figured between so this was my number nine. 
Um, I, I figured between the two of you, you'd probably enjoy it more than Zach would, Nate. Um, hey. Just because I, I know... Well, I, I'm not saying you wouldn't enjoy the movie, but I, I know Nate and I are more on the side of... Zach uh, hates children and also immigrants, so... More on the side of revisiting uh, themes and, and maybe retreads aren't aren't that bad as long as you do it differently and and this is such a similar film to um the florida project that down to the disney uh, i i could see that maybe some people are not on board if, if you've seen the florida project and are like yeah i've had enough of that um but I, I feel like in in ways this is a a little more intimate um and a little less extreme like the the poverty is there um but it's not the necessarily like the the focus isn't on like how are we going to get out of this poverty it's more this is this is how we're going to live for a little bit this is we're going to deal with this and this is kind of what's going on and the story takes place within those bounds and it's not really like worried about the the next step you're not trying to figure out like what's happening next um and and there's no like there, there are distractions at times, but it's not really. It, it's more just living in in that space with with these kids, and um, I, I think you get a lot of the similar themes. But I, I kind of just appreciated the tenderness that this was done with. I, I mean, I did really enjoy the Florida Project, but I think this is a little more my speed. So I I liked this, but am not quite as high um, uh, as either of you two are. I I actually really love the surrealistic parts of this movie, and wish hell yeah. And wish by the way, it's a uh, animation. Yeah, with the yep. with wolves and ninjas. Uh, and I wish that honestly would have been a more significant part of it. Um, I I just kind of done with more of it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. It seems like I could have. Pl- as soon as I started the movie, I kind of could have foreseen all the plot points and, and hiccups and, and problems that were going to happen along the the plotting of the movie. Um, you know, as soon as you see the money in the can, it's like, all right, someone's going to take that, you know. As soon as the... Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it I don't know. It, it seemed... When the moments were small and they were incredible, you know, the interactions between the two kids, you know, the the complete exhaustion um, of the mother just trying to do her, her best in these horrific circumstances. But as far as the, like, plotting and, and movement of the movie, it, it kind of just felt a little um, predictable. And, and... I, I guess that's what I was trying to say. It's not really about the plot for me. For me, it's not really about those yeah. those bullet points. Like, yeah, it's going to hit those. It's about the small mm-hmm. moments in between. It's it is about those yeah. Relationships. And the, I guess it just took me out of it a little bit more than I was um, I was hoping it would. You know, as as soon as the neighbor kids showed up, you're like, all right, there's going to be an issue. They're going to you know cause a problem, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, fucking kids. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't disagree with the the predictability of it. I, I guess to me that felt. Um, fairly true to the experience and how I would see that playing out. Like I, I felt like that, that felt authentic. And so therefore it didn't bother me that it, that, you know, um, I was more in, interested in the, um, the moments that were more surprising, like the development of the relationship with the landlord, which was yeah. not, 
did not play out how I expected it to. Um, and, and the way that family kind of unfolds as you're watching it was really interesting. Um, the, the one, uh, you know, as close as you can get to a plot twist, which, again, like, uh, I, without spoiling, they play with language from the perspective of children in this way where a kid overhears something and uses that language and thinks that it means one thing and then by the end it's revealed kind of what that actually means um yeah and holy shit that was because i i genuinely didn't i did not know what he was talking about and what he was referencing and that was one of the most powerful moments in the whole movie um and just that that ability to play from the perspective of the kids while also really giving you enough of a window into the grown-up characters um was really moving for me and I think the other thing was the um the way that those conflicts come up right like the again we already spoiled so that the the you know the big conflict plot point of the the money getting stolen um wasn't the sort of narrative linchpin that it could have been in the sense that like and now the bottom's fallen out and they can't do anything anymore so what are they going to do like everything's ruined until it finally it was a okay so now we have to continue forwards. Here's how we're going to deal with that. And that, um, not to get too personal with it, but having grown up with a, a single mom who worked a lot of jobs and at moments, like, the floor kind of fell out and she had to figure out how to, and, like, couldn't get people to cover me. And so was dragging me along to jobs that she was working, multiple sort of, like, gigs late at night to try. Like, that that experience felt very real and felt very um, personally kind of reminiscent of stuff that I remembered but didn't totally understand at the time and was really moving to see sort of um, depicted in this form because it, it felt very authentic to that experience of when shit hits the fan, um, unlike how it's depicted in many narrative films, that doesn't mean that then everything goes to shit um, to mix numerous metaphors. More often it means that like... Uh, people have to scramble even more and have to grind even harder and that's horrible but um being really willing to show like the lengths that someone would go to to try and surmount something like that um because they've decided that nothing's going to be insurmountable is is pretty affecting um and that's not to diminish like the experience of people who the bottom falls out and they can't do anything about it that's obviously a lived experience too but i was i was just really i was really um moved by that component of it i think in addition to everything else yeah i think i think avoiding tropes of poverty porn is pretty important especially in a year when hillbilly elegy came out jesus christ (laughs) so that's coming up for both of you right (laughs) (laughs) number one with a bullet baby (laughs) oh god can that be a number one with an asterisk can that just be a standalone episode the three of us a a live recording of all of us it's a live recording of us hate watching hillbilly yeah right totally zach i think you enjoy watching bad movies way more than i do specific (laughs) types of bad movies yes a peek a peek behind the curtain we're making these sort of like you know brainstorming lists of of movies that we want to watch and you know it's like oh best sports movie and like uh a a collection of like the best non-english speaking films and zach comes in with the like movies that suck except for this one thing (laughs) (laughs) hey i think it's a good idea i think it's a great idea i just i'm gonna be very frustrated at you when we do it yeah (laughs) 
All right, Zach, I think we're on your number seven. Uh, my number seven, <laughs> which I'm sure will come up later, is Small Axe Mangrove. Coming up yeah, later. Coming up later. Yeah. All right, my number seven is Baccarat. That is my number 12. Didn't make my list. Really enjoyed it. Didn't make my list. Yeah, I, I mean, this is going to be one of those... I think you should not know anything before going into this. Totally, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't. I, don't I kind of don't want to talk about it all that much. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything about it. I would just say I'm glad we're all in agreement that it's a good movie. Um, it is on uh, Criterion and Canopy, uh, and is available to rent on all normal services. Shout, shouts to Canopy. Shouts um, to Criterion. <laughs> Yeah, well, love love Criterion. Shout, shouts to Canopy, though. Uh, if you have a library card anywhere, yeah. you can watch four movies a month. Some libraries allow seven movies a month. Um, yeah, it, it's... I mean, get a library card. Libraries are dope. Um, what I will say about uh, Baccarat is it's about a small village in Brazil. Um, and the focus of the film is really just kind of developing this community, like not developing the community, developing your relationship as the viewer to this community um, and kind of learning what's going on in that community and then kind of what happens when outside forces come into that community. That's, I think that's really all I want to say about it. Go go see this movie as blind as possible. Yep. Yeah. And we'll, we'll probably be talking about at least elements of it when we get to the lives episode. Mm hundred percent. All right, Nate, your number six. My number six is The Vast of Night, which I believe is coming up. That's coming up. Uh, my number six is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Which I think that's the highest it got, right? My number 11. Yeah. yeah. My number eight. Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I've led off on like eight of these conversations to this point. So, Chris, if you want to start us off on one of them. <laughs> yeah, sure. This is um, like a really important story. And uh, it's, I mean, especially for three dudes watching this movie, getting a perspective on what it's like for an underage person who becomes pregnant in Pennsylvania R- trying yeah, to figure Pennsylvania. out. Yeah, rural Pennsylvania trying to figure out how to terminate a pregnancy that she doesn't watch. And I think the focus of this movie is really important. It's not a movie that's judgmental. It's not uh, trying to force any view on anybody. It's a very objective look on like, hey, this is a person doing a thing. Mm -hmm. And then watching as the complications of trying to find what should be basic health care for a woman becoming ex- exceedingly complicated. Um, and I, I think what I, I have like small problems with this movie, but it's, it's things that seem so silly to talk about when the subject matters is that important. Like there are some, there are some things that are used to push the narrative along that just didn't really jive with me. What's but... the deal with that suitcase, dude? What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? Um, 
Yeah, so there's a suitcase that uh, is unnecessary that's used, like, halfway through the movie for a plot point. But um, I I think the the titular scene is one of the most powerful pieces of filmmaking of the year. Yeah. Um, And I I think there are so many ways that this could have gone wrong um, trying to be something a little bit different than it was. And I think a lot, like... Uh, the assistant I don't like there are those little quibbles I had with it that I might change but I I wouldn't change anything about this to try to make it more interesting or better I think it's a it's a small story that works really well as a small story this movie is is also just as much about friendship as it is about um you know reproductive rights and the whole thing is centered around uh cousins who are you know close cousins who are there for each other and like getting the Un- unclear how close they well, really are. Though. Yeah. Like they work together and it, and the, there's no really, it, it does not establish how close they are, but like, I think you kind of grow to know. Mm-hmm. And, and the kind of ebbs and flows of someone who you're close with that you can get pissed off at and frustrated, but are going to be there and stick around for them. Um, and it, it's a very tender movie about the small things that you can do for a friend and whether those are big or small, that it, that there are moments where something, a big plot point is happening, but it's focused on a small subset of that, um, in the scene and, and how it's captured and Eliza Hitman just fucking is, her direction is incredible in this movie. Um, and it, it shouts that karaoke scene. Shouts, oh my god! Yeah, it made me so nostalgic for karaoke. I can't wait to go back. <laughs> yeah, um, I yeah, loved it. I, I think, I think to, to exactly what you were saying that the um, it's like a, it's a deeply procedural movie, um, and I think what makes or breaks a procedural movie uh, is is about where you put that focus um, and how like matter of fact. Um, it is about certain, you know, like uh, issues of like where you're going to sleep when you don't have uh, the money to afford a place that you're going to sleep because your stay is extending longer. And it, uh, sim- uh, in in this way, sort of similar to Los Lobos, um, it doesn't become a matter of like, and now, oh no, uh, the 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 bottom's falling out, and uh, what are we going to do? And it's this like, you know, it's just this very matter of fact. Okay, this happened. Now I'm going to figure out a way to deal with it, and and the horror and trauma of like those moments um, is almost uh, it, it's pulled into even starker focus by the matter of fact lens through which we're looking at it. Right, the fact that someone is forced to confront it in such a sort of um, grounded way. Uh, makes it impossible to sort of distance ourselves as viewers from it and to watch it from this perspective of like, and the swelling score tells us that this is uh, the moment that we're supposed to be emotional. And we just, we just have to live in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and yet paralleling the assistant like that for a movie that is bringing you into an experience that depending on who you are, your identity as a viewer may be nothing like anything you'll ever experience. That feels so essential Um, from the perspective of if you are, making a movie with the intention of sort of sharing that experience with other people. That's not always the goal and that doesn't have to always be the goal. But in this case, um, that's one of the things that makes the translation of this movie to um, like as a viewer who this is just never 
something that I would have had to experience. Um, it it makes it hit that much harder by not needing to embellish upon it, by not needing to glorify mm-hmm. any components of it or um, augment the the sort of trauma of any of those moments. They are as big as they need to be um, and as matter of fact as they need to be. And that, that I think, um, I don't know, that tightrope walk between like not needing to, um, being unwilling to look away from any of the horror of it um, and I'm using horror and maybe that's not even the right word for it, right? Because that feels like it's aggrandizing. Um, but the 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 um, the terrible impact of like the way our healthcare system treats um, women and mm-hmm. specifically uh, younger women and specifically um, women who have been disenfranchised in other ways and don't have access to these things, right? Uh, so it's it's unwillingness to shy away from any of that, and simultaneously, um, it's prioritization of not aggrandizing any of those things in an overly cinematic way. Um, that balancing act is is incredibly difficult to pull off, and I think Eliza Hitman nails it um, and does it in in just like a, a pretty astonishing way. Yep, pretty great. Um, my number six is time coming up. Coming up. All right, should we take a break before our top five? Yeah. Let's this is this is where we'd put the ads once somebody <laughs> drops the bag for us. All right, Nate, let's hear your number five. My number five is Mank, the David Fincher uh, film about Herman Mankiewicz, uh, based on the screen. Mank! Mank! Um, I believe this didn't make either of your lists, correct? It did not. It's my 14. Yeah, it so, is. Uh, that's fine. I'll be the I'll be the lone correct person here. Uh, it is my twenty third <laughs> movie. Oh, Oof! That's yikes. Um, so, although my twenty third is American Utopia, so I mean, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this was a film that um, had a lot of hype going into it, and I think that uh, it, I, I think can certainly affect the experience of it. Um, we also uh, all watched Citizen Kane prior to, like, rewatched Citizen Kane or watched for the first time. Um, turns out, uh, first good time, movie. Yeah, yeah turns great, out. Great <laughs> yeah. <film. laughs> um, for me, the experience of watching them back to back, of watching Citizen Kane and immediately the next day watching Mank, that's what um, I did. really Same. worked. And I, I don't know if that's true for, for other folks, but. Um, no, I agree. Stepping into that world. Uh, and being sort of reminded of the specifics of it and the the um, specific moments in the film, the construction of that narrative. Um, Mank is a movie that's so clearly in dialogue, very deliberately. Um, with that, it's not intended to be a biopic. They explicitly sort of talk about um, the narrative construction of uh, Citizen Kane as a an allegory for the way that they will do the narrative construction of Mank um, within the film and and. To me, that was so effective. It was something that um, allowed me to really kind of live within that world and be really sort of drawn in by it. Um, from a pure filmmaking perspective, I thought that this movie was just doing some things visually that um, I was absolutely like knocked on my ass by. Um, I, you know, David Fincher's like cinematic command is not a new um, <laughs> thing. Uh, but this was a version of it that I had. The movie to... yeah. of the, <laughs> the decade 2010s. Yeah, right. Uh, the director of that movie has a command on the cinema. Shocker. Um, but it was, you know, I, I was, I was pretty, I was still pretty blown away. 
um, by this as a new iteration of that. I thought that the performances at the center of it were pretty amazing. I thought that the nonlinear narrative, which again was very much so in dialogue with Citizen Kane, really yeah. worked for me. Um, uh, and I thought that the um, uh, this was a movie that on rewatch I think probably benefited the most. I do um, need to just do by, a rewatch of this. It's one that just I, I, there's so many things that slip by you. Um, or that take a little more time uh, to once you've sat with them a little bit more and and know what's coming and know what to look for. Um, I honestly so might harder. do the I might do the Citizen Kane and Mank rewatch before. Well, we well, it's not a bad well, idea. Well, now that we don't have eighty five fucking thousand yeah, movies to exactly. watch, let's get that number back up. Um, we can do that together. Uh, yeah, yeah, I so, have an idea. We'll have a podcast, and what we'll do. <laughs> Um, a podcast yeah, I'm interested about in, 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 the writing <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I have some more thoughts on it, but I, I'd love to just kick it around and hear what hear what everybody thought about it. I I did genuinely enjoy it. There, I think Amanda Seyfried is fucking incredible um, in this. Oh my God, and steals every scene she is in. Um, there are specific scenes that I I love. Um, when Mank is is uh, getting into the political conversation at dinner, the walk along um, the courtyard with Santa yeah. Um those scenes I was like fully a hundred percent all in captivated, and then it kind of you know it meanders a little bit. It kind of loses focus here and there, and I I just didn't love it as a full cohesive movies, but did fall in love with very specific parts of it. Um, I did, I liked the kind of kitschy fake cigarette burns in the corners and, and all that stuff. You know, I don't mind, uh, keep doing that, make it look like old timey film, but, uh, it, it, it seemed like the parts were better than the sum, but I guess on rewatch, I may have a different opinion of it. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm gonna be mr middleman here i'm right between you guys i think there were parts that were super brilliant and i loved absolutely and the the parts that i didn't care for so much were not like things i hated it was more things that i just liked um i think the choice to to make it black and white and try to recreate the cinematic qualities of citizen kane uh incredible choice i don't think it works if you don't do that Um, no i can't imagine this movie in color <laughs> yeah. Just like very modern filmmaking, like Fincher esque. It looks like Emma. You know, really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like digital and like really high def. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, performances are great. I, it's I don't have a whole lot to add to it. it I, I didn't have a unique experience with this film that that neither of you had. Um, it, it's, Chris, you need it's something you need to I'm, add to the Mank discourse. You you need yeah, to have it, a hot Mank take. <laughs> I'll I'll add something when we uh, hot mank take sounds movies. sounds like a different deal. That's <laughs> I don't know. That's where we want to go. Yeah, I um, um I, I, I did. I, I will say I, I did. I did like the just his brother like be, like that being part of the on side yeah. like playing both sides a little bit was really yeah. interesting to me. The um this will I, I, when we have our conversation about the vast of the night, I think this will come back a little bit, but um. Uh, again, to the to the rewatch conversation, I think on the first pass, um, the script reads as like, "Boy, can they write some snappy dialogue?" 
And on the second pass, you really get into, like, how unbelievably well-written this movie is. Like, what is being said, the way that it's paced, and the execution of it is is pretty mind-blowing. Um, and and uh, weirdly, as a parallel to, but in a very different way than some of those other movies that we talked about and some of the ones coming up in terms of how the um, the almost not uncinematic, but the, the, the less sort of... Um, narratively bombastic uh, nature of the movies um, I think is something that may age really well over time. This is one that is obviously really showy in certain ways but narratively like the climaxes are not really the climax that you would expect and feel almost a little bit sort of shuttled off from from what the actual movie is about in certain ways and there's these these narrative threads that feel kind of discordant and it um, it's something that is really interesting and really works for me. And I totally understand why it wouldn't necessarily click for someone. Or I also understand why it might take a a little bit more time with it for it to click. Um, But it is, uh, to me, it just, it really worked. I thought it was a real feat of screenwriting and a feat of filmmaking. Um, And I, you know, Gary Oldman is like, by all accounts, a trash human. And I wish I didn't feel so compelled by his acting all the time because um, I think he's Did you see Darkest Hour? I didn't. I did not. Um, I, I also didn't. Oh, <laughs> very so, deliberately. Uh, sc- scratch Pulp Fiction. We're doing Darkest Hour. For... <laughs> scratch the podcast, then. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, I will. I will add two things here. Um, one, I think the the Hollywood movies about Hollywood fatigue is very real, but this movie kind of uh, dodges that a little yeah. bit by. Um, by not really being so much about that and more about the characters within it. I mean, it's um, no La La Land, but <laughs> yeah. And then the the other thing, I guess, is I, I need to do some like research on this because to me that'll determine whether the uh, the politics of Herman Mankiewicz are timely or kind of just like forced into the narrative based on on what's going on now. Totally. Yeah. On that note, I, I mean, Jack Fincher wrote this script like what over a decade ago, so I don't, I don't oh, okay. think that they were forced in in that sense. Um, though I also think that there's a lot of conversations around this about how this is not a particularly factually um, grounded story. Like, yeah. there's a lot of debate around this, you know, being largely based on like Pauline Kael's take on Citizen Kane, which has been. Uh, largely discounted as, as uh, so that's Don't right so care. so that's its own whole thing and like if you're gonna let that upend your take of the movie then fine by all means but it's not meant to be a documentary <laughs> so do you very fair yeah um all right zach i believe you're number five uh my number five and i know i am the high uh man on this my number five is soul i uh fucking love this movie I don't care what y'all naysayers say. It's my 15. It's not like I hated it. <laughs> it's my 18. Remember how I said there was a drop off from 17 yeah. down? <laughs> um, I, I really genuinely love this movie. Um, Pixar, you know, we don't have to relitigate how great Pixar is at creating um emotionally seen cars three emotionally resonant <laughs> works of art uh actually no it's one of the like four pixar movies i haven't seen um i think you're okay yeah our pixar pods coming out at some point um i think we should actually do one totally 
Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. We'll do it before the next the next drop, which I think is this coming year. Oh yeah, that is true. I don't know what the next one is. Anyway, um, I I found this version of Pixar probably the most human I've seen them, where the lead character is a fucking middle school band teacher or elementary school band teacher, and that is like. Is that a Freudian slip there? No, is it? I just forget if it's elementary or middle school between. The... I think it's middle. I think it. I think it is middle. But, um, but like as I don't know, we're we're sitting with a former middle school uh, band teacher, music teacher. So I've, do, I've done both. Sure I've done. I've, or... No, I've done both. So it's fine. <laughs> um, but like that is not a classic protagonist in a movie aimed at children, you know. And he is, you know, this kind of perfect mix of cool and uncool where you know he's this very talented jazz pianist but at the same time he's just kind of like a dweeby middle-aged he's dude. totally a dork yeah <laughs> i was gonna say you know jazz jazz pianist middle school teachers famously cool <laughs> <laughs> i mean as a kid if you have that person as your teacher you probably think they're cool yeah maybe um i don't know i, I just think that this film has a level of warmth and heart to it that I really kind of connected to, um, especially in such a shitty year. Um, it has the like classic Pixar playfulness, you know, and there are parts that are definitely, um, you know, designed for kids, but I think this is one of their least kid friendly movies, um, that they've ever made. You know, uh, the Jerry's are this, abstract Pablo Picasso line painting thought experiment in and of, them, <laughs> in and of themselves. Uh, but I don't know. It, it, it's, it just connected. I connected with it so immediately um, as, as a fantastic portrait of someone who doesn't really know their purpose, you know, has carved out a good, a, a good, niche in their life and is doing pretty well but desires to do more but is kind of afraid of about what more can do for them and it, it just really worked for me yeah i think i think one of the best things that pixar does is uh planes of existence and coming up with a visualization for things that we don't have any concept of in our tiny human brains tiny human um, idiot brains <laughs> yeah so so having this idea of building a soul to inhabit a body and having that plane of existence before um is pretty brilliant and i love that um and, and I, I think it's probably a disservice to have the discourse about like the the films that came before that maybe pixar kind of drew from its own uh <laughs> its own source there but in the line of those films like um inside out and coco are, are the other two that really come to mind that are kind of trying to build these planes of existence um i i think it really succeeded there and, and especially doing the uh like in the zone thing and then lost souls like mm -hmm. those those kinds of scenes really worked for me and and there wasn't a whole lot about this movie that i didn't like it was it just didn't punch me in the gut like some of the other ones have and i think that's just kind of pixar shooting itself in the foot because they did such a good job before this i i hinted at this when we were talking about the um 
uh, an earlier movie, but in terms of, I think when we were talking about Dick Johnson, in terms of movies that I think the the core mm-hmm. message and the core concept being phenomenal and the execution not clicking for me, um, I think that the idea of again, uh, you know, spoilers for Soul. I of all the movies, I think this is probably one that many people have already seen, so I'm the least worried about it. It's on Disney um, Plus. It's on Disney Plus. If you haven't seen it, I don't know. Skip ahead a little bit. Um, the the notion, the, the sort of like landing point of, um, you know, people oh, don't yeah, just on have. Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people don't just have one purpose. People don't just have uh, one reason why they exist. And for any number of reasons, like life can take you in all these different directions. And it's important to um, learn to value the experience of life. And that being a purpose in and of itself. I think is incredibly valuable and is incredibly nuanced um, and really powerful as a way to sort of um, introduce kids to um, life <laughs> and introduce kids to life in a way that is going to like foster their mental health and well-being as uh, things progress and like stuff gets in the way of the things that they think they're meant to do. Um, I think that other than a few moments, the movie didn't really pull off. that for me I think that the writing didn't match the nuance of the concept I felt like the animation didn't really match the nuance of the concept I think to to what you were saying Chris about the the planes of existence um that I didn't feel like visually it was interesting in that sense oh Um, I I I loved (laughs) I love I didn't I didn't like how the soul characters looked I didn't think that that was particularly interesting I'm gonna split here I I'm gonna say the color palette was great and I agree that the maybe the animation of the characters was a little lacking. just felt like a little undercooked for me um and and that again i think felt the same writing wise where like especially the landing point in the movie but also at other moments where it just felt like you were like going for the thing and you didn't say it in a way that pulled it off and i know what you were trying to say and i i am 100% with the message of it but i the way that it was said the way that it was pulled off the way that it was performed i didn't think the voice performances were particularly engaging i just like it was a it was a honestly, I, I never would have known that was Jamie Foxx if or Tina Fey looked at the yeah. I think I would have gotten Tina Fey. I didn't. I didn't get Tina Fey until I looked it up. But does um, it matter? It was. It does in that I didn't care like that. I wasn't compelled by the performances at all. I don't care that I didn't know who they were. I care that I didn't. I was not invested in the performances of those characters. So for me, it was a. It was like a five star concept in a like three and a half star movie, and that landed with like a. Or maybe it was a five-star concept in a three-star movie that landed with a three-and-a-half-star movie, whatever I landed it, at it with. But I, I really... Um, I was frustrated that it wasn't um, what it could have been at its best moments. The moment where he plays the gig... Again, spoilers, sorry. Um, I feel like we can't really talk about yeah. parts of this movie without the... You know, yeah. um, the perform- When he plays the gig and it's he did the thing, he... he he pulled it off. He accomplished Ooh. his life's goal, and then it's done. And then he's on the street corner, and he's talking to the woman, and he's like, "So what's what happens now? What am I supposed to feel?" And she's like, "You come back tomorrow." Is genuinely like the most the most that. fucking scene I've ever <laughs> felt in a movie. Like that was so real, and I wanted that both by virtue of what Pixar is, and also by virtue of again conceptually what they were going for. And their ability to get there a little bit, that's the bar they set for themselves for this movie. And I don't feel like the movie lived up to that. 
and I wanted a movie that lived up to that, and instead I got a movie where the dude's soul got in a cat for a part of it, and I'm not sure why still. <laughs> and like I, it I just like didn't <laughs> it just didn't do what I wanted it to do for the goals that it set for itself. So so yeah. I <laughs> and that's why it didn't work for me. I I as you say, Mank needs a rewatch. I think you need to rewatch this without the preconceptions of um, what you might have thought going into this. Because uh, I did rewatch it, and it's fucking great. Um, and that's fair. And you know the kind of weirdness of Pixar that I think on on first watches you kind of forget how weird a lot of the movies are. Like uh, Up, which I know is not our favorite uh, collectively. Um, I like Up a lot. I think I'm the high man on Up. But like you remember the first and weirdly, really, I slot this. I I think of I compare this a lot to Up in a in a movie that like if I'm only thinking of my favorite parts of it, it would be much higher. Yeah. But as a whole movie, doesn't doesn't work out as well. Yeah, like a, a lot of that movie is a chase around a bird. You know. <laughs> okay, but like the bird is one of my favorite Pixar characters ever. Yeah. Anyway. I, I the talking really, dog shit. It's 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 a no for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dog, lo- oh, fuck off. <laughs> oh yeah. man, I, I couldn't respond to that because I did. All right. Um, also, best Nick's joke of the round by far. Oh, oh my and the Knicks, god! Just to be clear, again, I think for me on the watch, a three-star movie that was elevated to a three-and-a-half-star movie purely <laughs> by that Knicks joke. That shit was incredible. Oh, God, incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, holy yeah, shit. I loved it. it was, I, I was absolutely not ready for that. But... Yeah. Anyway, I loved it. Watch it. Okay. Yeah, 100% um, watch this movie. So my number five is Sound of Metal. Um, it is the story of a drummer who is playing with his, uh, his partner who, I guess they live together in an airstream and travel the country playing music and it picks up like the show before he pretty much loses his entire ability to hear anything. And, uh, I, I wasn't sure what this movie was going to be when I when I started. I don't think you really lose anything by knowing what it's about. So this uh, will soft spoilers for it, but it's it's more about him learning to cope with his uh, his hearing loss through being in this community of deaf people um that kind of shuts you out from the outside world. And I think that's kind of where I want to end the, because the things that happen after that kind of um, get into spoiler territory, but um, I I think just the frame, the framing of it's really interesting. Yeah. Zach, go ahead. So, so Nate, how does it feel to talk about a movie about a middle school band teacher and then a drummer uh, back to back? (laughs) A drummer who goes down. So it's it's from my my biggest lived fear to my biggest abstract fear. Yeah, cool. Well, Zach and I have both lost hearing due to uh, to music experiences. So it's coming to my shows. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> now um, your shows weren't the issue. Uh, yeah, I it was it was Mets yep. and uh, 
rolling blackouts coastal fever oh, jesus um so i like this movie i think i'm the low person on this but it's, it's still an honorable mention i still really really enjoyed it um it's just kind of the there are a ton of movies i love this year um riz ahmed is absolutely fantastic in this um and it's it's more about the struggle to accept a drastic life change and what that means for you and what that might mean for your relationships and less about the actual incident. Um, I'd push back a little bit on that because I think it is all, like more focused on the community of uh, the, the deaf community mm-hmm. than it is a, about accepting this life change. Because... Um, the character never accepts this life change. And I think that's the whole part of it. And, uh, and it's, I think Paul, Paul Racy is that. His I, I don't know how you Racy. pronounce it, but yeah, I do not know. R-A-C-I. Uh, puts on, puts on an incredible performance as the kind of the leader of this community. Um, and I, I, I felt like I learned a lot and also just got to live with these characters for so long and, and just the performances were totally engrossing and I, I was enraptured, I guess is the, the best word to describe it. Yeah. I was going to say sh- uh, shouts to Riz Ahmed for giving one of the best performances of the year and it being the second best performance in the movie, arguably. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm talking about my mom more than I expected to on this podcast <laughs> ever. Um, <laughs> But in terms of like, if you want to like intersectionality of, of narratives and stuff, uh, I, I, I am a drummer. That's, a, you know, um, and my mom uh, is, a, is a sign language interpreter. So uh, I sort of grew up around a deaf community that she was always working with through education or through um, interpreting and stuff. And one of the things that, you know, I, I grew up talking with her about and that she would talk about is just like the notion of deaf community and and. Um, the different perspectives on that and you know for some people that idea of it being a very insular thing and the idea of really um, viewing deafness not as a disability but just as a um, as a a part of sort of your like a definitional component of your identity and of the community and um, that's something that I I was really impressed by this movie the way that it um, does that while also doing it from the perspective of someone who's wrestling with that and not um like Riz Ahmed's characters being oppositional to that idea and sort of chasing hearing um, as he sort of slips into deafness. Um, it did a great job of uh, living with that perspective while also not negating or disagreeing with it. it it's a movie that doesn't take a side as overtly as it could. Um, and and I, think that it, I, th- I think it does take a side, but it, I, it I does. agree that it's not yeah. like... It it does, but not to the extent that I think it could in either direction. Exactly. And I think that yeah. that's a, like it 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 doesn't inherently devalue the decisions of different people, or it shows you the flaws and the consequences of different decisions without yeah. inextricably saying here is the right thing, here is the wrong. Thing. I think I think the thing that it it did was uh, it made the hastiness and the the lack of thought in the decision kind of yes the, exactly yeah the, the the crux of the film mm-hmm. exactly um yeah i mean it was it decision. was more about the his sole desire to change and 
not be comfortable with what he was, which is very understandable and very human, but is is incongruous with what he was trying to work toward with with that community. Yeah. And, and you know, there's there's a, a really critical scene um, that kind of lays that all out um, in this movie. That is one of my favorite scenes of the year. Um, and you know, I, I'm bummed that this movie didn't end up higher. This is one of those that like just ended up with a log jam in front of it kind of thing. Um, and I, I really did love it. Um, and I loved Chris's question of, did you know any of the band t-shirts that existed (laughs) in this movie? Cause I was over 15. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's some really obscure metal bands on t-shirts in this movie. Yeah. I got, I got none of those. But but yeah, so Nate, what you were saying about intersectionality too is this movie also deals with addiction, and it's it's pretty strongly on on the side of well, I guess it doesn't take sides there either. But <laughs> addiction, uh, addiction or anti addiction, pro pro addiction or anti, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but on sides of how you handle that, because I think one of the big things about this community is it's a it's an anti drug community. It, so the 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 deaf community that this takes place with is uh, a rehab community. It's for, yeah, it's, it's for, it's right. Anti- it's, yeah, it's, it's all addicts. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no, there's no phones, no anything to connect you to the outside world to like insulate you from, from that and make sure that you're in this community of people who are all struggling with the same thing and, and making sure that, that you're staying that way. And um, I think it doesn't really take sides in, in the way that, uh, Riz Ahmed's character handles that and he's at first not into being there and then eventually kind of finds his way into the community and then when he leaves it also doesn't really judge him for that either um, and and I feel like there there are some scenes where it's like you get the emotional resonance of his decisions like the emotional impact of his decisions but I feel like it's without judgment there yeah, there's there's just a nuance to the storytelling that I, I thought was really effective. I'm I'm interested in um, I I did not do enough research into the uh, which I, I will before the the Lottie's podcast, but the into the director Darius Martyr and also the writers um, and like their experience with either with deafness or with um, with addiction, sort of the, like the two sort of central tenets and you know metal obviously, but maybe maybe <laughs> less. Um, I think- I think the shirts give you yeah. a yeah, right. clue into their um, experience. I, you know, because there was there was a real just a, a real nuance to the way that each of those components was portrayed, and um, uh, the uh, Chris, you've used the word tenderness a couple of times, but like the, the the that the tenderness with which that sort of portrait was painted, I thought was really effective. I also just I don't think we can go by this without talking about the the sound editing, like oh, uh, incredible. Uh, uh, one of the very doing, few times I noticed sound editing, it was it was like genuinely astonishing how um, brilliantly they were handling that. Especially weirdly, this is a movie that I think benefits from a whether or not it's the first way you watch it, you should at some point watch this movie with headphones on a yep. computer um, or with headphones if you can hook up headphones to it. Whatever, I don't care how you visually watch it, but having headphones and then having the experience of the sound doing what it's doing to sort of um, pantomime the the experience of starting to lose your hearing or at certain points like having your hearing augmented with certain things, um, 
you know, minimal spoilers, although you can probably decipher that if you know much about uh, deafness as a thing, um, was was astonishing. I, I was and, – and was so effective. Um, and narratively what that ends up doing as well, like as it goes along where like uh, the way you're experiencing the sound makes a point was was just pretty jaw-dropping. Um, there's a specific yeah. scene in a doctor's office late in the movie yeah. where uh, it just it, – it was it, – that's – that I think more than anything else was probably what elevated this movie as much as it did for me. Totally. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, you guys made a really good point in that I am the correct person on this ranking. <laughs> <laughs> Top five movie of the year. <laughs> All right. All right, Nate, you're, you're number four. My number four is coming up, and it's uh, Small Axe Mangrove. Okay, yeah, it's coming up. Uh, my number four is Time. Coming up. My number six. Um, my number four is The Vast of Night. Um I think this would probably be my other, like, you should probably go into this not knowing mm-hmm. much. Totally. Movie. Yeah. Um, Agreed. I, I don't want to spoil much. It's it's on Amazon Prime. I would absolutely check it out. It's a, it's a really immersive uh, period film, but I wouldn't, if you're thrown off by period films, I would put it more in the category of like American graffiti, uh, than, than like Emma. Um, yeah, it's correct. Know, it's just, it is. It, it is certainly, it has more similarities to American graffiti <laughs> than Why Emma. Thank you for that analysis. Two? Chris. That provided <laughs> zero insight. <laughs> Into what kind of movie this was. Let us count the similarities. Cars. <laughs> radio. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. So th- this one, it made me think of American Graffiti a lot because of the, the radio kind of uh, together. Yeah. And then I guess Emma was my 2020 period film that I thought of. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah uh i i think nate and i were the the high ones on this one i I think two two really good performances from uh younger younger actors yeah um uh sarah mccormick and jake horowitz phenomenal uh, phenomenal performances of like a pretty um like a script that i i am in love with especially i i just rewatched this yesterday um but is also like pretty ambling and pretty consistently like uh, there, there's an engine to everything that's being said and it doesn't really slow down. And that's a very tough thing, I think, to pull off in a way that feels authentic. And they do a very, very impressive job of kind of just going with it and and having that be a constant thing, especially with like takes that are pretty uh, long in a lot of cases. There's a, a, um, you know, a whole situation with like a, a long shot of a switchboard where uh, one character is kind of just like there, and and you and and is interacting with a number of different people as she's reacting to different things, and um, yeah, uh, this I is a lot about switchboards in this movie. A lot about switchboards. well, no, I, um, I saw a lot about switchboards. I didn't. Yeah, right, fair. <laughs> well, you got to patch fair. more cables. That's that's the thing is is get more into that cable patching life, and it'll make more sense. Um, I, the other thing I'd just say about this is, is uh, I think the the use of um, music, both as a score and also narratively, um, 
uh, sort of like the, the blurring lines between sound design and music I thought was really effective in this um, and really stood out on the second watch as well. Um, yeah, this was, I mean, this at moments was in my top five. Um, at moments was a little bit lower and then kind of rocketed back up. Um, I could imagine this jumping even higher later. Uh, I, I really, I, I was very blown away by this movie. And it's one that I think in another year probably would have slipped by me. Um, so I'm really glad that I got to see it earlier on yeah. and then come back to it. Yeah, I'm, this was probably number two in my like exceeded expectations ranking, like where it ended up versus yeah. where I expected it to end up when I well, started. What was number it. one? You'll see. <laughs> the Way Back coming yeah. up in my top three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is it? Is it me now? I think it's my sure. my oh, no. third. Your third. <laughs> My number three is time. Yeah, it was my number four. My number six. Cool. So Nate I'm and I right. watched this. Zach together. is Zach is less right, and then Chris is the least right. Um, yeah, Zach and I uh, had a Friday night open, and so we decided what would be a super fun way to spend our Friday <laughs> night was with a meditative think piece on fucking mass incarceration. Um, uh, I mean, I I I think I probably cried more during this movie than any other movie that we watched um mm-hmm. across the whole thing uh i i don't know that i've seen and you know maybe this is part of the 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 bias that i had against collective coming into it um this the 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 nature of this as a documentary was something that simultaneously did everything i would want a documentary to do and also was something i i felt like i'd never seen a documentary do before um, uh, its expansiveness, its ability to sort of cross um, such a, a broad swath of time while also um, feeling What's the so name drink. of the movie. <laughs> drink. Hey, uh, feeling so like intimate and lived in in specific moments, and giving you such a um, uh, like a close look at. Uh, uh, specific components and specific moments within people's lives um, and giving you such a, a detailed portrait of all the different characters um, through the lens of this, like, a lot of it is found footage. A lot of it is, like, you can tell sort of the moment when the documentary really, like, when they started doing the footage for the actual documentary yeah. versus when it was just these home these home videos. I, I was just, I was really floored, I think, um, everything about this movie was so working in concert with itself, whether it was the the, um, the score, whether it was the, the way so the footage was pieced together. The score is unbelievable. Um, Low-key, uh, I mean, like, I, my my not-so, my lukewarm take is that this movie had the, um, the best time inversion sequence out of any <laughs> movie this entire year. Pretty good. Uh, I mean, I, I was... For, I was for pretty me, the, the, by this. the scenes that make this movie are like when when you hear her on the phone with um you know with the prison just being oh uh, yeah Oof. you know as, as that... calm and generous and polite as possible and you know you can hear it's like oh no you know we don't have that yet maybe check back a little later. And it's this kind of, you know, layers of bureaucracy that are involved that kind of lose the humanity that exists within the, the justice system. And it's like she just wants to know if her husband's going to get out of jail. 
and it's this receptionist who has to, you know, relay the case from this thing and that thing. And then you lose the humanity throughout this. And um, there is nothing that tied me more toward the humanity of a case more than this movie. You know, the... um, the the home videos of them right at the beginning are are just so heartwarming you know it's this this beautiful young loving couple and uh you know that it it still feels weird to see what what year would this have been when they were recording this the 80s when they when they started yeah. filming it would have been no the ni- early 90s early right? 90s yeah, because um, it was tw- was it twenty years? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, 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 so it would have been mid mid nineties. Yeah, but it it still feels weird to see like full video from the nineties of like home video, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know tender and you know this two these two young lovers that are kind of uh, optimistic about the future, and then it, you know cuts toward her current uh current situation and current existence and it's it's just it's brutal but so well done and like you were saying the score just keeps everything moving moving the cinematography is fucking gorgeous um they sparsely use kind of the landscape narrative time shifting stuff but when they do it's perfect uh i don't know i i absolutely love this film so I think one of the most effective things about this is a lot of the documentaries and things that that focus on the justice system focus on cases that are these like wildly gross miscarriages of justice yep. and and like absolutely like this is for sure a miscarriage of justice in in a certain sense but these are two people who committed the same crime and one took a plea deal, one didn't, and it's this very different miscarriage of justice where you're fighting with a system that has has failed in a completely different way, and it's it's kind of this this case of like, okay, if he had just taken the the plea bargain, he could have been out at the same time, but like why why is this happening? Why is this necessary? Yeah. Like, why did he get punished so badly for not taking the plea bargain? And th- it's a totally different focus than, like, someone who maybe didn't commit the crime or someone who did something very minor and was and was given a lot longer than they should have been given in prison. This was a, a an attempted robbery of a bank, I believe. Ar- armed, and, ro- armed robbery. Yeah, like, armed very robbery. serious crime. And having that focus and and being being about something where like the viewer has to cope with the fact that these very real human beings who you're seeing their lives and these are people like these are people who are doing a thing that they felt they needed to do because something was going wrong in their lives like this is a very human thing to feel um did something really bad but also this is shitty and shouldn't be happening. Um, I, I think that's a really important part of the film as well. If you think about, if you think about sort of stages of development in terms of like abolitionist tendencies or, or anti mass incarceration tendencies, right? Like that first stage is, um, uh, 
wow, it's so fucked up when people are put in prison for a crime they didn't commit. When someone is like, like racial bias leads someone to be imprisoned for a crime they didn't commit. And I feel like that's a thing that like a wider array of people, um, again, uh, just thinking about sort of like our own identities and and as as sort of like learning, like I feel like that's shit that I got when I was younger. I I remember being taught about how like justice can be biased towards Mm -hmm. like against people of color. I, I understand that as a concept. And so it's super fucked up how like a person could be put in prison when they didn't deserve to be, right? And the notion of deserving was based around they didn't commit the crime, but they were charged with that crime unfairly. And then you get to the level of like, okay, well, well, times when like maybe someone committed a crime, but starting to learn that like, oh, just because you committed one crime doesn't mean you deserve this other sort of more significant thing. I think the that what this movie does so well is it's that sort of further stage of development of understanding that like no the whole system in and of itself like the idea that we as a society believe that it is a reasonable and fair and okay thing to put people in prison for a crime when it's a crime like this that that Unpacking the construction of why we think that like doing that to humans and upending humans' lives for the cost of something like this is something that's acceptable and there's situations where it would be justifiable is so inherently problematic and so inherently um, – and, and then also like unpacking the layers of like why – um, someone societally would be put into a position where they would think that that crime was a necessary option. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think uh, being able to capture sort of that end of the spectrum and and deal with that level of mass incarceration and not depend on this like uh, you know oh racial bias led them to be arrested for something they didn't do like that's not the point the point is our society is constructed in a way where it pushes people towards certain actions and then we use that as justification for putting them into a position that's tantamount to essentially slavery. Um, as a way of sort of continuing to perpetrate slavery post abolition, um, well, and and all of this stuff being dangled like a carrot, like, right. hey, you might get out now, you might get up, mm. you might get out in a couple months, right. like it's and and this family coping with the fact that like they're telling us it might happen, but it right. probably won't, and trying to deal with that, it's constant sense of like, yeah, he could have been out like mm-hmm. ten years ago. I think like it goes kind of it goes hand in hand with conversations to a certain extent. Obviously, there's there's different aspects of this, right? But it is um, it's intertwined with conversations about the death penalty and things yep. like that. Of like forcing you as a human to reckon with the consequence of um, the moral judgments that you think you have a right to make, um, and and things that we've sort of convinced ourselves are morally justifiable within society based on the sort of arbitrary construction of legality, right? Um, we believe that something is legal and therefore right. We are told that something is illegal and therefore wrong, and we use that as a justification for um, uh, enacting these punishments on people um, who, without having to reckon with the actual human impact that those have, those consequences have on them and on their families and on the people who surround them. And this is a movie that, um, without shying away from the actions that were illegal, um, 
forces you to reckon with how fucked a system is that it can make people think that by doing something illegal, you deserve this. Um, and that, confronting that, I think, is um, in a way that is this human and this um, this powerful, I think, is, is a, a really incredible accomplishment and a really sort of essential film um, for, for people to watch. Um, to help them sort of reckon with that process and and hopefully move more in the direction of abolition and more in the direction of sort of anti mass incarceration, um, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, I think that the the other thing I would say is one of the things I had a a discomfort with uh, when we were talking about Thirteenth is kind of litigating the cinematic qualities of yes, a totally. an important documentary. This one I had no qualms with because it is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks incredible always. It's, it's sensual often, you know? It's, it's real. yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's really personal. It's um, interweaving those those home videos with, like, like you said, Zach, really personal things. Like, you have a video of, of these kids growing up, and then you have, like, a video of this grown-up kid, like, getting dressed in fancy clothes to go like graduate uh, and go to dent, uh, dental school or graduate yeah, from dental school. It just such Im- like important moments in, in these kids lives. And it's, it's all on film for us, which is kind of, I don't know, invasive, but a, a really good cinematically. Yeah. And the fact that it was that they were home movies actually kind of helps with the invasiveness. Right. Cause it was a, it was a, uh, a document that the the main character was choosing to make rather than like yes. uh, there's been a film crew with them this whole time and yeah. now they're going <laughs> to fucking air this shit right that's a different that's a different vibe um, it's use of again uh, drink time um, and the play with, with time in terms of uh, the, the way that there are reveals that are not you know reveals necessarily but like if you don't know anything about this story the jumps in like you see where a kid is at in a home video and then you see that kid now and you realize how much time that has passed that that was one of the most powerful things i think for me um and also like uh, argument for ending of the year yeah um it's it doesn't win but it's in the argument totally um, I, and I guess the the last thing I'll say, like super brilliant idea to hold off on having a conversation between her and her husband until what maybe like three quarters of the way yeah. through the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you really get to know the family family around it way more. Yeah, there yeah. is actually there's an earlier one, and you don't even know who it is. She's talking to someone, and it's her husband, but you don't. They don't. They're not clear about it. Because I remember noticing that and hearing it, and being like, "Is that? I don't know who she's talking to." And then you hear him later, and you realize that it's the husband. But yeah, they're very subtle about it. So yes, totally. So that first conversation was the first time I started crying. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It, it just very, very much like, oh my god, I can see like how in love these people are, and she's yeah. like. I can't even fathom how heartbreaking this is, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you watch this, you're going to cry. It's on Amazon prime. Um, do that, please. Yep. Um, so my number three. Yep. Yeah. You're number three. Uh, my number three is a movie that we've talked about already. It is boys state. 
Ooh. Uh, that's my number 16. Yeah. That's my number uh, 13. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this for, what, an hour on its own uh, <laughs> previously. Just just a really incredible documentary about um, the American political system through the lens of a youth politics camp in Texas. Um, and just is, is super... It, it it's it feels like a movie, you know. There there are yeah. scenes in it that that have like the classic movie tropes of climax and hero speech and and all this and and I can't believe that this is a documentary. Um, you know, just just some of the most compelling scenes that I've watched. Uh, and the fact kids say the darndest things. <laughs> well, some of them do. Some of them are <laughs> Nazis. Uh, <laughs> Kid Nazis. Uh, uh, I'm they sorry. Say I'm sorry. The I'm sorry. Things. Ben Shapiro types. Yeah. I think is more what you're. Well, no, there are Ben Shapiro types that are Nazis, and then other Nazis that are separate Nazis. That <laughs> are right. You're right. You're right. Great point. Uh, um, I don't yeah, think we need to watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's on. It's, it's on wonderful. Apple TV. Apple TV. It's yeah. maybe maybe more poignant in a good way now, and maybe more poignant in a wait a couple months way now. Um, but it's it's very worth a watch. It's incredibly well made. It's it's a fantastic movie. Yeah. On the did I cry or not scale, it was a yes. <laughs> Amazing. So what is your uh, number? My number three? three. My number three is first cow Come coming on. up. Nate, uh, Nate, your number two. My number two is coming up. It's Nomadland. Yeah. That is also my number two. Great. We're really whittling it down. Uh, my number two is First Cow. Coming up! Good to know we're in a similar, similar <laughs> fucking page. All right, Nate, you're number one. What about Chris? Nope. You, oh, you already said you're number two. Yeah, my number one is First Cow. My number two is Yeah. Okay. All right, Nate, uh, you're number one. Yeah. My number one is First Cow. Um, my number this two. is a film that we spoke about already on the pod, I believe. Um, I'm totally cool going more in depth with it as it being your number one. Yeah, we, uh, you know, maybe not as much as we need to with the other number ones. Um, I just rewatched this movie. Um, it was my number two for a while. And then um, on the rewatch, it, it rocketed back up um, one slot <laughs> to be my number one. <laughs> <laughs> um man i i mean number one i just this this uh has has put me into a, a state of like needing to watch again the completionist thing of needing to watch like everything kelly reichard's done before um because i know she's a director who's like is that a prolific. is that a thing on our and list of, of it pilots? is a thing on our list yeah it was one of the yeah right, right. <laughs> kelly reichard rocks i think was the, the title that i put in there um I think that the, the the things that I was the most captivated by on the rewatch of this um, are a few things, some of which hit the first time, but were even sort of augmented. One was the score, which I... Uh, ha, is, suck it, Nate. Just, I know, which I'm so <laughs> furious about how much I love. Um, but it's it's so good. Um, the other one is just like the, the, the care with which... Um, Kelly 
and and the cinematographers treat um, every character uh, mm-hmm. from the characters that you're spending the most time with to the the crotchety grumpy dude sweeping shit off of his pseudo porch <laughs> and like yelling at other people as they're walking past um, to the animals that you see to it, there's just this like this delicacy to everything that that. Um, I mean, she's doing in this this ability for the frame to kind of hold those characters and bring so much life out of them that I, I I'm hard pressed to think of another movie that's done that that effectively with that many people um, in a, in a long time and, and that really I think is is probably what has elevated this movie uh, again on on the rewatch even more so um, for me it it's. It's it's just it's kind of like hypnotically quiet the whole time. I feel like I'm totally immersed in the movie without um, necessarily there being like a, you know a very um, you know bombastic driving plot yeah. that's that's engineering the whole thing. Um, it's oily cakes. I, I don't man. know. I just yeah right. Um, Milk heist. I, I just I, I've been I've been I was really captivated by this movie both times, and I hadn't really been able to shake that feeling. And rewatching it kind of affirmed that. Of like, there is something that just kind of like stuck to me um, about about what this movie looked like, about what it felt like watching it, about um, the the uh, connection that you draw to both characters and the connection you feel to the connection that both the lead characters have with each other. Um, that I, I was just I, I'm hard pressed to think of another film that that has sort of pulled that off. I mean, um, to I, the same I, extent. I think I used this when we talked about this last time, but the movie's so tactile. You know, everything yeah. is, is so felt and dirty and real. And him like digging, yeah. th- getting the mushrooms, like starting with that yeah. when he's picking the mushrooms. So I, I mean, I rewatched this. I rewatched this today, and I almost texted you guys, but I didn't want to give it away. One of my favorite little things in any movie this year was him just picking up that little newt and turning it over mm-hmm. in the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's the it's it's a very intimate film. Everything yeah, yeah. is every relationship between each character and between each character and the nature and the and the place that they inhabit is super intimate. Everyone has this reverence, um, and and I think Kelly Reichert's style, which I'm gleaning off of one film, but <laughs> I mean it's. It's one of the first times I've ever watched a film and been like, this filmmaker has a style. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very much um, like the, the the movements of the camera are very intentional. And, and often yeah. often there are no movements of the camera. Um, and, and sometimes they're very subtle, but it, it nudges you in the right direction every time. And and I feel like a lot of those choices are really important in the film and, and have, having rewatched it, like mm-hmm. some of the things that really stood out to me were, were those relationships. And, um, yeah, I mean, like it's, if we're framing this around, like who should watch this movie, like who Everyone. would enjoy it. <laughs> I think, I think this is one of those ones where like, if you're uncomfortable jumping into like indie cinema, maybe this is an entry point because this is mm-hmm. it's a period piece it's a it's a friendship film it's it's like a buddy buddy cop movie but it's a cops. heist movie it's yeah, a, right? it's a, a shot is there somehow it's, it's 
two bros open up a new business and, and <laughs> it's and about it, entrepreneurs ensue. <laughs> it's a it's a chase movie, like eventually they, they go on the run and they're being chased. Like, Hashtag milk heist. <laughs> it's it's so good. There's so much to love about this movie. And yeah. it has all of those cinematic qualities that I love. And it, it's you even get like these really so one of my favorite things that filmmakers will do is make you feel something that the main character would feel at that time and what Kelly Reichert did in certain situations was take a a native a speaker of a native language and not subtitle it so that you don't mm-hmm. understand what they're saying and put you in the situation of trying to communicate with this person who speaks a language that you don't understand. And that kind of stuff is just, it, it, she didn't need to do that. Like that didn't need to be in the film, but she thought of it and put it in there and it adds so much, it adds layers that, that are just, it elevates the whole thing. I was reading about that uh, uh, after the second rewatch, and, and it, there's a whole other layer to that of like the language that they were using was actually like a dialect that's sort of the equivalent of um, Spanglish in terms of it's like it's 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 a it's a lot of colloquialisms. It wasn't a sort of like um, it was a language that was emerging of uh, uh, of different uh, dialectics and things like that, mm-hmm. and so even within that, uh, like the people who were speaking it, like Orion Lee had to literally go out of his way to try and learn this language. But even the people who were speaking it, like had different levels of grasps of it. And, and there was a nuance to the way it was being performed. Just like that play with language and that, um, the, her, her way of capturing it, I think really, um, allowed for the, the, the nuance of communication to really come through and, and the nuance for the way in which um, people who were communicating with that language barrier could come through in an authentic way and not just in a sort of like cinematic, like a uh, person doesn't speak the language and here's the interaction that they have. Like it felt very real and very lived in that way. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. think I said this on the, the last pod we did on the movie which was eight months ago or whatever the fuck. Yeah, if Jesus. you're listening to this and you haven't heard that, don't worry about it. We'll just we're talking about it now. Uh, one of my favorite little scenes is is when they go to the chief's house and um, they have the Native American maids waiting on them, and then they, you know, the main characters go into another room and the camera just lingers on the the two maids and they just chat with each other for a second. Interesting, interesting point about that. Didn't realize until this watch. That's his wife. Really? That's the the yeah. That's the head. So so there's the the. Um, the woman who's dressed up in the more sort of colonial garb is a uh, uh, First Nations woman who he yeah. married. And so that's the idea. So that's why uh, she's speaking to that woman who she knows, but she knows because she's yeah. left. Like, that's why they're catching up. So that's this whole other layer to yeah. it where, like, the more time you sort of spend with the movie, the more you start to understand some of those dynamics. Whole other thing to yeah. unpack. But anyways, not to, yeah. not to interrupt your point. Like, I think last that's thing, still... Last thing I that is say one of the most movie, sort of... Um, I, I, I think unequivocally, unequivocally, best ending of any film of the year. I, I, I think, think the the only movie that we have watched that I would put up against this with best ending is um, that's if we're counting Citizen Kane, fine. Um, is Portrait <laughs> of a Lady on Fire? That's the only one that I would like in terms of its 
Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I think, is yeah has. Yeah, the, you're, you're right. I, but that, but but I, I I think of those two as a similar thing of like, if you were looking at that script, you could tell what's coming, like the 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 hint the, they they cue you up and you know that they're queuing you up and then it happens and it's like you got fucking drop kicked there's like no it, there's no spoon feeding it's it there's just spooning be, you had to be paid <laughs> there is spooning <laughs> you had um, to be paying attention well done extra points for zach film. you had and there are like these little things that are like oh this is happening there's this little point and and like toward the end where they the seed was planted like while they're selling the oily cakes there's this there's this kid who just doesn't get his oily cake and then he's not fucking happy about it he's he's not he's not happy about it there's this very short scene where you're like oh Okay. Kid doesn't seem too happy. And then maybe 20 minutes later, the movie ends, and you're like, oh. (laughs) And I think that's so brilliant. I think not spelling things out is is one of the best things you can do, and and laying those bricks along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great. All great cases for this being the number one movie and the two of you having fucked up. But yeah. but let's let's keep it moving. The first cow in the territory. <laughs> yeah, I I was Drink. again uh, just an, another incredibly quotable movie. Um, uh, right. There are just a couple lines in there that are are yeah, pretty so the fancy shoes. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, don't look at my fucking fancy shoes. How dare you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Love it. I think it's rentable. I don't think it's on a streaming service yet. So, yeah. um, no, first cow is on uh, Showtime. Watch it today. Showtime. If you, yeah, if, you have, show if you have Showtime, do that. If you don't have Showtime, find somebody who does. Or rent it. Yeah. Free like trial that shit. Four bucks or whatever. Just, yeah. 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 Honestly, I do think uh, this movie is worth the seven day free trial. I would, I would, I would seven day free trial show time for this. It's, it's, it's also worth the four dollars, incidentally. <laughs> you know, but if you do the seven day free trial, I think you can do, uh, first cow, uh, first reformed, and then I'm sure there's some other first movie that you can get out of the way for your it, first. Is, man, you're doing a, is Chris you're doing a for first, first reformed? <laughs> Holy shit! I am it's thinking happening. about re. I am thinking about rewatching it, but um, yeah. it, it was like my. It, it wasn't like it, it was we like don't need to relitigate this. We're it was done. like my number we're seventeen done. We're movie. Done. Of the we're, year. Done. we're done. We're done. <laughs> I didn't hate it that much. Yeah. All right. So now is it? Uh, it's your I, number one, Zach. Yeah. Uh, my number one, I think, is both of your number twos. It is, which is Nomadland. Yep. Uh, we were all lucky enough to be able to catch this at the virtual film festival screenings. Um, for those of you. Uh, who may be unaware this is based off of a nonfiction book by Jessica Bruder, um, who was my brother's professor at Columbia, uh, who name, name drop, drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, who wrote a book about, um, 
Americans who are living out of their vans, mainly in the West, uh, for either philosophical or um, or monetary reasons, often. Uh, and this people, was this takes place during the Great Recession, right? A little bit after. Um, okay. So she, I think, started embedding with them in the mid two thousands. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, mid twenty tens. Um, yeah, I was going to say mid-2000s a little early. but Mid-2010s. And it is a fictionalization of a nonfiction book. So Fern, the character played by um, Frances McDormand, is a kind of amalgamation of a bunch of different um, nomads that um, she encountered. And it is the kind of slice-of-life movie of a person who is kind of had to struggle and deal and fight through her life and is in this situation that is not ideal. She's just trying to make the best of it and is being exposed to this lifestyle that is really fucking hard, honestly. But it gives a lot of freedom to the individuals. And so it is this kind of balance between, you know, literally living out of your van, having to deal with the hardships that come with that, whether it be... Uh, logistical or uh, monetarily or um, legally you know a lot of places don't allow overnight van parking and stuff like that so it's a really tough existence um, and it 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 it's such a great portrait of the struggle that comes with this the um, the fights that they have to deal with some of them they have to put up with because they need to to live and some of them because you know they're kind of just like in this movie they're hard-headed people that don't want to change and it it's really a fascinating look into this style of person i i know that you guys caught it a little bit afterwards uh, a little bit after i first saw it um nate what did you think about it I, I mean, this was my number one for a while until I revisited First Cow. Um, I, in, in thinking about that, uh, when you are doing those sort of slice of life movies, um, th- this is a film that does, uh, which which is something that uh, you know I think Chloe Zhao has has already proven. Um, she's so excellent mm-hmm. at, and I, I look forward to her lending this. Same talent to go back uh, and check out our uh, when, it, uh, when, it, when it comes out. Yeah. Go back and check out our uh, our rider conversation about the rider. Yeah, um, but she her ability to um, examine the the hardships of this lifestyle without feeling voyeuristic, right? Like mm-hmm. she doesn't. Um, it doesn't feel like it's a commentary on like oh poor these people who go through this experience. And it also doesn't feel like a, a type of thing that sort of glorifies um, the best parts of it that are the reason that that someone would choose this lifestyle. It, it really sort of toes that line in a way that's that's um, incredibly effective and incredibly affecting. Um, By the way, McDormand, effect, hot, affecting hot. is the uh, the drinking word of the the podcast. I think we got like five of them in this Great. one. All right. so yeah, cool. <laughs> drink for that. It was time during time, um, and we failed. I'm that pretty one. sure. I'm, I'm, I think I was the main offender of the affecting. <laughs> yeah, um, Francis McDormand 
uh, hot hot ballot take of the century. Good at acting. Um, yeah. Uh, and and this was a movie by contrast. I'm really glad I saw the writer first. Um, by contrast to the writer, this was a movie that I felt like um, there were no moments at which the use of uh, <laughs> real people threw me out. In the way where mm-hmm. in the writer there were moments where I was a, a little bit disoriented by it or a little distracted, and in this one, um, I thought that it was perfectly deployed, mm-hmm. and and her her direction of those people and her deployment of those people and those characters, um, and also you know Frances McDormand as the central character being able to play off of them. Yeah. I think there's there's benefit to having her in the central the role that you spend the most yeah. time with as someone who is that skilled at do at sort of interfacing with those people. Um, but that I think was a balancing act that worked really well for me. Um, again, how many Eternals jokes can I make in this? What, what's the quota? You, because I feel like there's already. a there's a there's a really great one about like her her use of sort of authentic characters playing off of Kumail Nanjiani as as a Eternal God. I think that'll be a cool one. Um, I can't wait to see Jacked Kumail. Yeah. Uh, have you not been following his Instagram? Because oh, I've no, seen no. plenty I mean, I of Jack Kumail. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to see him in action. You know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I was, I was pretty, pretty. Um, I, I love this movie. I mean, it was, you know, the second best movie of again a very deep movie year um, for me, and and it's a close, yeah, close second. One one that. thing I want to note is that a lot of the actors that you you send are are non actors, you know. Right. The, that's the, yeah, yeah. These yeah, are yeah, totally. Nate alluded are, to that. Yeah. Yeah. These are the the genuine people that were written about in the book as nonfiction accounts of people who had to deal yep. with this life. Um, yeah, there are really only two two actors who yeah. are like actors of prominence that you would recognize if you go into this movie. Yes, and um, everyone else is a, a non actor. So, um, and, um, and again, in in this film, I I think that that choice for directorially was really effective. It, it works um, a lot better, I think, than it, it did in the writer. Like you, some said, of the most moving moments in the movie, I think, came from that. Like so, came from interactions with. So people. having not known that going into the film, I, I did no prior research or anything. I kind of got the sense that there were some non actors in the film, but I didn't like. I didn't get the idea that like almost everybody is a non-actor, and I, and I think that's that works. Um, I, I think for me, Zach ruined the movie by telling me I was going to cry six times, um, and, and I you cried only cried. zero. <laughs> um, you soulless bastard! I cried twice. No, I'm I'm excited to I'm, I'm excited to revisit it when it comes out again and not <laughs> when these, it's actually available. Well, yeah, not having these unrealistic expectations is I, I feel like no faults uh, uh, to you, Zach, of building the the movie up. Like it's excellent. So yeah, you should build it up. I just felt like it was built up a little too much for me, um, and. I, I don't have bad things to say about it. It was it was excellent. It made me care about very small things in very small moments. And I think, like you were saying, Nate, I I, I appreciate that you invoked uh, Phantom Thread earlier in the podcast. Like looking back on this year, the films that are going to define the year for me, I think at least in the near future, are Nomadland and First Cow as the like thematic threads that kind of go through these top films that I have where it's uh, 
tender movies that that deal with very small things and it's not about building up these huge through lines it's more about living in these little moments and and figuring out what these characters are dealing with in these small moments and and i think that's not for everybody um and maybe this year will fall short for a lot of people who are looking for for a lot bigger movies but i think for me this is this is kind of what i'm looking for in a year like this yeah um where i mean this movie's also just fucking gorgeous yeah i mean that's that's also just chloe Zhao just knows how to yeah use a landscape and i I think we we kind of joked around about it um, when we were talking about the rider, is like how much is Chloe Zhao and how much is like South Dakota or whatever. South uh, yeah, right. And, but I, I think having that background of watching the rider and now watching Nomadland, like, yeah, it's it's Chloe Zhao. It's not. Mm-hmm. It, it takes more than just having a I beautiful mean, landscape. It's, it's it's at bare minimum the Southwest and Northwest. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> That's. I don't know that we can give credit to her quite yet. I need to see her do it in every quadrant of the U.S. at least. I need the. I want to see the like the Paramus, New Jersey. I need the dance. It's called called Patterson, New Jersey. It starred Adam Driver. It was about him driving a bus. That's a great movie. I I love. I will cape for Patterson. Uh, But yeah, I, I mean, like this. I didn't need much cementing, but this like puts chloe Zhao in like the stratosphere of like as and, soon as she puts now, out her next project like i yeah I'm and now according to the internet she can finally become a good director by directing <laughs> a marvel movie <laughs> <laughs> uh the the last thing i'll say about this is i i don't think i've ever seen a movie kind of tackle um industry like amazon with with such a like yeah. soft touch that they were able hey, to hey we watched castaway <laughs> they did fedex <laughs> oh my god um <laughs> oh you said soft touch yeah <laughs> that that it was kind of this damnation of um this seasonal labor that they're forcing people who are our parents age into um you know who are working eight ten hours a day in these really incredibly tough positions to just barely squeak by for three months and then they have to go harvest sugar beets up in north dakota like you know they have to drive for thousands of miles to go farm sugar beets in in sub-zero temperatures and it's well while also I, I it's to, to the to that sort of like the the light touch yeah. component of it right like while also showing that that Amazon gig is kind of a balm mm-hmm. for them right yeah, like it's totally. kind of a like this is what gets them through that year like this is yeah. the thing that they need for that which was a, that was just a very interesting way to approach that, that again interesting I say from the perspective <laughs> of never having to do that work that's a probably a very standardized and integral component of like seasonal labor, but, but it was not a thing that I would ever yeah. have had to think about. Yeah. Sorry. My actual last thing, uh, <laughs> read the book. I, the book is absolutely incredible. Um, it's a nonfiction, you know, account of, of we get this. it, Zach, you've read. 
I have read. I was going to say, what, what, what is this? I'm sorry. What, uh, who is this book you speak yeah. of? I'm not, I'm not familiar. No. So let me say, I do appreciate the, uh, what, what you've done with this quarantine period, quote unquote, where like you've done a lot of watch the movie and then read the book or like mm-hmm. read the book quickly before you watch the movie. Yeah. Um, I can't wait for this to turn into a shot about timeline. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little upset. That, that you haven't what a passive aggressive i just i love what you've done where you always watch the movie and then read the book except for the one i gave you yeah except yeah. for the one that i fucking shipped to you how much yeah, is I that mean, book I, 350 no it was like it was like a 15 dollar book <laughs> oh god and i i had to find it too like it, they don't just have it on amazon like you gotta go on uh, the second most popular bookstore in the world, uh, Barnes and Noble, and have it shipped. <laughs> Timeline: A right, novel Chris, by what's, Michael what's Crichton your... <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> well, now it's on Amazon. Okay, <laughs> Chris, what's your number one? Okay, so my number one is uh, Mangrove, Small Axe, uh, Steve McQueen. I. So one of the things I've kind of done this year is put an extra weight into things that just make me feel things um i feel like feeling things has been a a thing that has eluded me this year and uh mangrove gave me a lot of things on the emotional spectrum um and i mean it's not the the best cinematic film of the year and it like that's not to take away from it in any way but like i i I agree yeah when you're comparing it with like the other top five it's for sure not like on par with those things but um it just from the first 10 minutes i was so invested in all of the characters and it's just like the joy inherent in the people portrayed in the film just it was infectious for me and by caring in the first 10 minutes you are immediately i mean like the injustice that is carried against them in the remaining however many minutes of the film uh just affects you that much more if you can imbue that caring within those early minutes of the film and um i think the script is really good it has some of the best performances of the year i think sean parks gives a really incredible leading performance um leticia wright um i mean i think her breakout quote unquote in uh in Black Panther was, I mean, like a warranted, it, like given, like given that role, like pretty warranted based on what you she mean. She didn't before. break out in the commuter. <laughs> no, um, but I, but I mean, you. for those who had seen her in in like Black Mirror and stuff, kind of knew she had the talent to do whatever. And then and then given the platform to to be on a an international level in in Black Panther, I think gave her the exposure. And then I think this this kind of role is really something that she can flourish with. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it's... So if you, if you haven't 
heard of it. It's so Small Axe is a a series of films by Steve McQueen on Amazon Prime, and they all focus on um, immigrants from the West Indies into, I guess, the the UK, London area. Maybe I haven't seen most of them, but I, I watched two of them. I don't know. Like, do you guys have any further insight on those? I've seen three of the, of the five, yeah. Okay. Um, this and Lover's Rock is the other one I saw. Yeah, Lover's It'll Rock is going to yeah. be coming up. Um, yeah, so I'm, I, this, I believe, focuses on a, a Jamaican immigrant family in um, Notting Hill. Um, s- apologies to Notting Hill, but the best film about Notting Hill that I've watched in the past <laughs> couple of years. Um but it's it's about a, a Jamaican restaurant that is in like the 1960s in this in the civil civil rights movement um, that focuses on the uh, police brutality around non-white people in in the London area, and I think one it's it's a thing that kind of gets lost in American. Uh, classes about history about the civil rights movement um uh, not a lot of people learn things about the civil rights movement taking place outside of america and i I think framing that in london is really interesting and um and then the second half of the film is kind of this courtroom drama that um one is just really interesting um and if you're a fan of courtroom drama films like you're gonna find this interesting and i I was just totally in um but also it's it's a story about the people who are either like involved in the restaurant or the people who were arrested in the protests that surrounded the the unfair shutting down of the restaurant who defend themselves in court and and just outsmart all the dumbass cops who decided to get involved with that in the first place and it's it's a very satisfying story in some ways but it's also in other ways not super optimistic like it it doesn't uh give you this feeling like okay uh the civil rights movement has worked and everything's fine it's it's very much um it lives in that whole experience and um while giving you it just it brings together a lot of different things i like about films like it it's it's very cinematic it's very it it can be a popcorn movie at times and it's it's just enjoyable in some ways but then also it has really tough moments that that make you feel conflicted it has things that make you really angry and i i feel like in terms of movies that made me feel things this made me feel a lot of different ways over the course it turns out in 2020 we all just wanted to feel things (laughs) yeah exactly i so i I think like i said at the beginning like there are a lot better pieces of cinema that were made this year this one was the one that made me feel the most things and made me feel like this was the movie of the year i will say to the to that um i i agree with basically everything you you've said um and, and the one thing that i would 
add to that is is in terms of the 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 cinematic qualities of it um while i agree that there were other movies that maybe sort of elevated past it for me um this had a couple moments specifically and on the whole i think was visually a movie that was was um pretty impactful and and pretty uh has a couple sequences that i haven't really been able to shake in terms of how they they looked um one is sort of specifically in the wake of a police raid there's sort of like a lingering shot um that that stretches on way past what you think it's going to be and just like the 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 um it was one of those moments that i think the command of uh the camera that Steve McQueen has uh, was really apparent um, in terms of his choice of subject and his choice of how long to force you to watch that sh- subject and and all the sort of narrative meaning that could carry behind it. And then the other is a, is a moment when in the midst of the trial, there's, mm-hmm. there's sort of a thing that happens and you are um, uh, transported into a, to a... <laughs> yeah, you're brought into a room with a character and, and forced to stay there uh and to sort of witness that character's breakdown again, like m- long past the point of comfort and long past the point of um, anything that we are conditioned to be okay with, even in a situation that you can like say, Oh, this is horrible. And this person is very angry. And then, but like we just as humans are not used to being like uncomfortable by seeing that sort of level of rage. Um, and v- and both in terms of the impact of that emotionally and also just visually um, the way that the, the the framing of those shots and the way it's cutting off certain parts of people's bodies and you're only seeing like the physicality coming from the arms coupled with the light that's spilling into the frame. Like that inter- cinematically was some of the best stuff that I had seen. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to yeah. <laughs> take anything away totally. from Steve McQueen. I, I just I need uh, to speak out uh, no. in defense of Steve McQueen, who you were besmirching <laughs> as, as a completely kid. inept Film. cinematographer. Uh, I just think that's important to bring no, but, up. But I, but I also want to add to that. I think, honestly, like when we look back on the year 2020 in film, I think he also had one of the iconic shots of the year, which is the climactic moment of the film choosing to yeah. focus on one person at that moment yep that and, just that uh, that that shot his and, uh, lingering was the thing that kept coming up when i was thinking about this of, like go. his ability to just like to to keep the camera trained somewhere and to pick that subject and to commit to it um and to kind of linger there and and force you as the audience to stay with that thing when a lesser director would be darting around the room yeah. Um, yeah. B- b- let, let it be known, Steve McQueen. Good. <laughs> and, and that concludes our takes here on Ballot. <laughs> oh God. Ooh, all right. Should we get into our honorable mentions? Yeah, I think so. Our our vast honorable mentions. So I don't uh, think they're that so let's, vast because we kind of let's start with the yeah let's start with the two that were were um for for. All three of us sure. were sort of high on our honorable mention sure. list. That so, might be the... Um, one of them is uh, American Utopia, uh, which is David Byrne's filmed uh, stage concert. How, how would you... Wait, I, wasn't it a, a Broadway, Broadway production? It was a Broadway, it was a Broadway show, yeah. So it's, a, it's you know, uh, in, the, in the same ilk as... Uh, 
the the Springsteen yeah. performance from a couple years ago, right? These sort of um, this this version of a Broadway show that's essentially sort of a recontextualization of of uh, a musical artist's past work and maybe some new work and some things like that. Yeah. Um, this one is is now then in this form filmed by Spike Lee, so you add this extra layer of sort of. Um, cinematic quality to a show that uh, obviously is sort of already recontextualizing. Let me just kick off by adding the only thing I have to say about this is didn't realize how important direction in a concert video was until I watched Spike Lee do it. Until you realize David Byrne has two of the best examples of it of all time. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Uh, um, this this just made me happy. I don't know. I, yeah. I've I've not a ton else to add. Um, it's great. It's inventive. It's on HBO Max. S- Spike Lee's direction's incredible. David Byrne's a yep. fucking god. Just you know, watch it. Yeah, watch it. It it'll it'll make you feel mostly make you happy. And when it's not making you happy, it'll be very Important. emotionally impactful yeah. in a, in a way that's I, I think really powerful. And um, yeah. It's it's great and on the short list of sort of like best best watches I think of the of the year best watching experience. Yeah. Of Speaking of HBO Max, I feel like we didn't uh, mention uh, Los Lobos is available on HBO Max. Yeah, that's the one for that. And uh, Vast of Night is Amazon Prime. Yeah, yep. it is. I think um, I said that. First Cow is we said Showtime. Yep. Uh, Nomadland, tough luck. Nothing. We're all yeah, fucking elitists. It. Suck it. <laughs> like that's uh, yeah. See it when it comes out in February, nerds. Um, so the the other one, one of the so- other ones, Sound of Metal, Amazon Prime. Is, yeah, I think. it's the other two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the other ones that was on Time, all of our Amazon Prime. One of the other ones that was on all of our uh, <laughs> honorable mentions was Another Round, um, the Mads Mikkelsen starring film. That was I my think thirteen. I think yeah, fifteen. For it was me. it was Six, in my eleven real quick right after I watched it. Yeah, it was my sixteen. Um, it I th- uh, it's also called Druk, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah, I think is in Danish. Perfect. Sure. Yeah, in Danish, which is basically so the plot line is four high school teachers launch a drinking experiment, upholding a constant low level of intoxication. And who knew it wouldn't be as fun as that sounds? <laughs> but there is a lot of fun in this movie. There is, for sure. But as most things... And also less fun. Yeah. As as with most things that involve alcohol, has its comeuppance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, the biggest takeaway from... Uh, this will come back at the Lotties. Performance um, of Mad Mickelson? It's... I mean, that was... It's one of the best performances of the year. Um He's an actor who I love uh, and have always really loved him in things, but usually as a Bond villain or yeah. a Bond villain, essentially. Like, it's, you know, that's like kind of Mads Mikkelsen. Or the as dad a, as in Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, right. It's always like, you know, uh, some level of caricature is involved. It was really interesting to, to watch him play a leading man in this way yeah. with a character with this much depth. And in his native um, language. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's just this. Um, it was almost like they took the they took the you took the the reins off, like you you let them run free on this one. Um, I, I mean, he's one of the most captivating actors, I, I, especially in this performance, like that I can remember seeing ever. I mean, I, I was I was really kind of floored by the 
depths to which he could go and like the nuance to his performance and the um his ability to dance his his <laughs> his dancing ability is a whole other conversation um yeah i i was really i i mean that in and of itself i think i i know, five stars i just think his right ability there. his his ability to transform his character in multiple planes of life like transform his character as a teacher from kind of yeah. disinterested to a just a really uh, intriguing person who's who's bringing all of these students into his life and and also as as a husband and father who is disinterested to being like a really yeah. interesting part of their lives and then kind of also the how that kind of diverges later um yeah i think that's <laughs> he he contains multitudes and I, I think um i i wish he were in more stuff um in i, I want him to be not a villain in more stuff be yeah just a normal yeah, exactly dude. that's so <laughs> that's kind of what i want from uh our our man mads mickelson here in america he doesn't he doesn't have to come to America and play all these all these things, but like I, I want that. Also, I want yeah. the dude to, that plays Peter to be in more stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, P- I, Peter and and uh, Nikolai, those two. I mean, I, I think a lot of the the I, I guess like supporting characters yeah. are are really well. I, like I didn't, I didn't have any problem with any of the performances. I think no, I think they were I thought all they were all good. great. Dude, what, what, all right. The funniest part of this movie for me is when they're all drunk and at the after the children's soccer game, and Tommy's just running around going sliding tackle. You can stay <laughs> away from my tackle. sliding tackle. I think that was a a problem with the uh, translation more than anything. Doesn't matter. Else. It was perfect. You uh, say problem. I say oh, you absolute say that's your perfection. Favorite part of the movie. I think my favorite part of the movie is learning that there was no cod in. <laughs> in the market so they went fishing instead oh god yeah for me it was just Um, like you know the one your one drunk friend who would just like never stop doing the one thing it was like sliding tackles like all right tommy like you can cut it out that's more jesus christ more of a video game thing when you're all drunk and one person learns how to do a thing on the controller and they just keep doing it Um, i i also uh really liked sazerac knight oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, I don't know. I love yeah, it. Yeah, this is this is a this is a strong recommend. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I although think unfortunately, it's, it's, it's probably. A, it's, a, I think it's only a rental. Yeah, uh, but also it's probably a movie not not a lot of people have on their lists, and I would say absolutely put that on your list. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think the last one that were was on all of ours was Small Axe Lovers Rock, which is this really cool kind of all in one night, um, short movie. It's what like seventy eighty, 80 something. Yeah, it's not max. super. It's not super short. It's it's shorter than like a feature length. It's, uh, it's film, definitely but, under an hour yeah. and a half. Yeah, but but also longer than you would think something like that could sustain. I seventy think. minutes. Yeah, it's seventy minutes. I, I think that's it's very just like it's a party and you go to the party mm-hmm. and I, I think yep. that's that's just kind of the deal. I I I think. This is one where I like I as I was watching it and in the aftermath of watching it, I think was like very aware of my own hang ups about um 
qualitatively how I was willing to rank something that was shorter than I would normally think of a movie and how I sort of docked points of it. Yeah. And, and were, um, were small acts not in the form that it was, where it was the five movies and therefore I, I was sort of, they were constantly in conversation with each other and stuff. I may have bumped this even higher. I think the fact that I had Mangrove in the conversation high up made me feel more okay about um, caving to my tendency of feeling like, oh, this wasn't long enough, so it deserved more. But I think you could argue visually this is a, a, a far superior film yeah. um, than than. It's Mangrove. way more inventive. What what there I, I what he does visually uh, in this movie is is absolutely i mean i I don't think i've ever seen someone capture like the feel of being in a party um as effectively and to your point again sort of interconnected with with uh mangrove like the ability to have the camera linger on a sequence where they're all singing the song and it goes on way past the point where you feel comfortable watching them sing the song but if you were drunk at that party yeah. is absolutely the amount of times you would sing that song. I just, the, the, the realism of that um, was so effective in the way that sometimes realism falls apart and doesn't translate in yeah. that way. And so, McQueen's ability to do realism in a way that actually works is, is pretty uh, just incredible. So my reference for this, my reference point for this movie is bloody nose, empty pockets. Like it's the same yeah, kind yeah. of deal where you're you're being totally. put in a in a situation where one where alcohol is involved, and it's it's just kind of vibing with the moment, very different vibes, mm-hmm. but the same idea. And and I think both capture one the color palette of of the experience is is really good. But like yeah, that's. I feel like that's really important if you're trying to do a vibe movie yep. is capturing that color palette. And one of us. One, one of us. <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> I'd also like to shout out Lover's Rock for the only good kung fu fighting needle drop of all time. Oh, my God. Did not know that that was a Jamaican man who made that song. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. My yeah. assumption was it was a uh, far astray white man. Yeah. I think those were our consensus ones. I have a few other quick shout outs. I have many other shout outs, but we can talk about the yeah. ones we both yeah. have. Uh, let's, well, we can, you can also just, why don't we just name drop them? Yeah. That might be so, the, the easiest. Uh, what, a movie I watched last night that Chris recommended was Possessor, um, which is kind of in the ilk of Under the Skin and Annihilation, um, just a kind of sci fi horror movie about um, more or less assassins that take over someone's mind and use their body as a vessel to take out their actions. Really cool. It's by, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Brandon Cronenberg Jr. The Junior Cronenberg. Well, it's David Cronenberg's son, Brandon Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, David, David Cronenberg, I think most famous for doing the fly. Yes. Yeah. Um, Really cool movie. Uh, a lot of kind of trippy visual effects um, worked on me a lot. I know that Chris, you watched it and enjoyed it as well. Yeah, so I, I I figured this would be more up your alley than even mine, but definitely more than Nate's alley. Um, I I figured it I mean, was that description sounded great. Yeah. Well, for me, it's it's 
I'm glad you agreed with my assessment. It's somewhere between under the skin and annihilation. And for me, it fell more toward annihilation, but it's in that vein of um, kind of sci-fi horror movies where I feel like it was an idea that wasn't entirely fulfilled, but I'm not sure if, if I were the auteur taking on this idea, I don't know how I would have made it better. Um, so I, I don't really have any higher ground to criticize it from, but um I, f- I found it to be a really interesting film and I feel like certain people might really like it. Um, and I, like, I just wasn't one of them, but um, there are a lot of really enjoyable things about it. I think there are some really good performances and a, and a pretty good Bob Odenkirk and a pretty good oh, yeah. Sanfield. To... Great Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say it's, it's less of a horror film than it is a sci-fi film, I think, but it has some um, elements of body horror and some like psychological thriller kind of vibes to it. Totally. Uh, and, and then I think the last major one that I have is Shit House, um, which was directed by Cooper Rafe, um, starring Cooper Rafe, um, which is just kind of a college coming of age comedy drama um, that I liked marginally more than Chris and almost tore us apart. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I found myself watching that movie and just kind of being like, don't say that! (laughs) But also, like, that's sometimes how people talk, so I had no no real issues with it. It was... um, I, I just knew so many of the people in this movie. It was like so the the thing about it for me was it really brought to mind more than anything else, like how few really good college films we have. Totally, there aren't that many films that accurately and compellingly depict the college experience. And in that way, this film succeeds on a small level because it it doesn't really, it doesn't try to do anything grand. But Mm -hmm. also, like, I can't think of a lot of recent college films that really work because I think most of the ideas for, like, a good college film turn into high school movies. Yes. Yeah. And this is definitely more about the freshman college experience more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, watch it if you can. I don't know if you can at this point. I don't know if it's rentable, but hopefully it'll be more widely available soon. Uh, my last quick thing is um, there's an animated movie called Wolf Walkers um, that is one of the most gorgeously animated movies I've ever seen. I think that the story of the movie is less than I wanted, but if you are with you know younger kids or just want something really beautiful to look at, Wolf Walkers honestly might be the prettiest animated movie i've ever seen so check that out all right nate do you have any uh honorable mentions we didn't really talk about yeah i would shout out i mean you know we hit the five bloods and um the devil all the time before i liked both of those movies that get them out um my 25 and 26 uh, yeah uh 19 and 22 for me um the the way back uh ben affleck starring uh you know high school basketball coach struggling with addiction issues film um could could hard pressed to be more up my alley um 
that that was a, a I really loved that and is sort of in that realm of like very or it's a movie it's a movie and it was a good movie um similarly bad education a yep. movie that is a good movie really liked it unremarkable but very good my 31 um, in being unremarkable the, the most middlest <laughs> yeah. good movie yeah um Ma Rainey's Black Bottom I think had some really excellent parts didn't totally work all the way through for me but um certainly on the performance front and also just in terms of like certain elements of it were really effective for me um uh I, I talked about the movie that I laughed the most at being I think Bloody Nose Empty Pockets uh, Borat subsequent movie film was probably the the second most I laughed during um the year watching a movie uh I'm a sucker for certain Guy Ritchie films, so The Gentleman was a really fun watch for me, even if it was not a good film. Haven't watched um, it yet. It's on my list of things to do. It's worth a watch. It's like, it's a Guy Ritchie film. If you know what a Guy Ritchie film is, it's like not as good as Snatch. It's just hard um, to watch a movie when I know that it's not going to show up on my top 11. Yeah, totally. Um, and then the last one I'd say is, is uh, you know, uh, for better or worse, and I think I need like seven more watches to really have perspective on it. I, I think Tenet is certainly worth a watch and worth discussing, and we'll come back, I think, uh, at the lobbies for sure. That was one that I put on my list of, like, I know it's not going to be on my top 11, so I'm going to put it off until we do the lotties, So Yeah. Oh, my um, God, I'm sorry. And Greenland. Obviously Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously Greenland. Um all right, so uh, my honorable mentions I haven't been uh, at least touched upon yet. Uh, so I had forty year old the forty year old version, um, not to be confused with forty year old virgin. Um, I, th- I think you guys enjoyed this a little less than I did, but yep. um, I, I think for my money, like the second best pure comedy film of the year after Palm Springs, um, it was kind of in the in the same vein as Trainwreck for me, like it didn't take itself too seriously but when it needed to it was serious enough and was pretty self-aware so nothing really took me out there um vitalina varela um if you're into the cinema uh that'll be coming up again later on in our in our lotties episode that's it's a story of a a woman in uh, cape verde who whose husband dies and she comes to learn some things, some unsavory things about him uh, along the way. But mostly that movie's about just kind of living in, in these kind of dark spaces with natural lighting. And it's a absolutely beautiful uh, cinematic experience and uh, something that if you're, if you're, more into cinema than you are into just like enjoying a movie. I think that's a really good watch. Um, <clears throat> another one is, and then we danced. It's a Georgian film about uh, a dance company in Georgia that does traditional Georgian uh, dance. And it's a kind of an interesting love story between two of the male dancers who, who are competing for uh, a similar position within the dance company. Um, and it's something where I started watching it and I thought like, oh, there, there have been so many movies that have done this before. And then it kind of turns into something different that you're not really expecting. And I like that. And uh, another one that I more so enjoyed for the cinematic qualities than I did for the actual storytelling. 
Um, and then I guess I would say Black Bear, um, mostly just if you're into movies that don't necessarily tell a specific linear story and if you're into movies that confuse the shit out of you um zach you don't need to be like fucking yawning at me while i'm talking Um, (laughs) but but also i think one of the legitimate performances of the year uh from aubrey plaza an absolutely incredible performance where it's just kind of um the the movie starts with aubrey plaza's character uh, coming to live with a family that's trying to figure out what to do with their lake house and not really sure what they're doing. And Aubrey Plaza is a, a, a director and a cinematographer and um, kind of trying to figure out if it would be a good place to shoot a film. And then they have like a really awkward night. And then the film kind of bifurcates into a different thing where it becomes a film about a film that they're making. And it's kind of, it's so weird. I would, absolutely suggest it um for anybody who's looking for a a weird film experience yeah and, i think uh, i think the only one i forgot is a uh, kajillionaire i think also for me gets a little shout out just for being ahead of black bear uh, a weird ass Miranda July movie um with the weirdest <laughs> name of any character don't spoil it it's coming up on our Oscar spot. <laughs> so in April, you'll find out the name of Evan Rachel Wood's character. In this <laughs> if you can wait that long, it is an you. absolute runaway for my hard aired award winner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I think 2020 as a whole was a, a shockingly good movie year um, with a lot of the. Like you said, Nate, early on, the big blockbusters just being totally pushed out and the things that are rising to the top are the kind of more small indie weird movies. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my list right now and everything down to 35 to me was enjoyable and I think down to 36 was probably enjoyable to you guys as well. And I only had three movies I would avoid this year that I that I watched and I think that's a pretty solid ratio. <laughs> I have a little more than that. Uh, don't see Greyhound. Yeah. It's the well, actually, if you're with your dad, see Greyhound. <laughs> if you're not with your dad, never see Greyhound. Well, I, I did the thing where I didn't watch Wonder Woman. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that movie's not good. It's not good. It's too bad. Don't watch an American Pickle. Uh, don't watch Host unless you're really into horror movies. Don't watch and, The Midnight Sky. Unless you are really into George Clooney being a bad director. And don't watch uh, Weathering Together unless you really, really love Japanese animation, which they did pretty well in that film, but the story is kind of problematic. Perfect. What a great note to end on. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, I will say, love you guys, and I love... Uh, that we have this shared experience together because otherwise me watching 250 movies by myself this year would have been pretty depressing. Pathological, yeah, right? Um, No offense, Gabe. (laughs) (laughs) The only person who's hearing this, yeah. Uh, Um, 
yeah this love you too man this is this has been great and i'm excited for us to be heading into a new sort of incarnation of this um and this has also been really fun yeah and, and nobody else i'd rather watch an ungodly number of movies with and then discuss for four hours straight yeah multiple I'm, times. I'm, I'm very excited to be like oh when can we record the podcast oh we can start at nine and that won't <laughs> that won't I mean, put me to very bed optimistic three? thinking we've we've stretched a uh we've stretched a four movie pod for three hours before oh god yeah we have that was only two and a half hours don't worry about it all right phew yeah, well, this one's approaching four, so I feel like we uh, we probably should cut it off at some. Good time point. to end it. I hope everyone who has made it to this point in the podcast uh, has enjoyed their time with us and has learned some things about some movies that maybe they wrote down on uh, on their phone that they might want to be able to watch later. And if they didn't, then it was a huge waste of time for them. Um, yeah, good way to end the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure. Fucking <laughs> nailed sure. that. <laughs> all right love y'all what Goodbye. a dismount S- sounded good to me and then i saw zach's face <laughs> i don't know i hope people listen to this and like wrote down some movies that they might want to watch if they didn't then like that kind of sucks for them you don't need to relitigate it just end it it's like end it's it. like the uh you know watching the person do you know the balance beam routine and then they go and they like do their fucking leap off and you could tell like oh they're not gonna make that turn and you see it coming <laughs> the whole time and they fucking land like on a knee it's yeah all right good stuff man yeah thanks love y'all appreciate it (laughs) all right right. love you goodbye goodbye